0: You're tuned in to the Tales and Tunes podcast, presented by myself, B-Tsunami. We've got episode 18 ready to pollute your airwaves, and with this week's guest, Chicago House legend, Paul Anthony. But, as you know the drill, let's kick this podcast off proper with B-Tsunami's number one track pick of the week. This week's pick is one of my favorite tracks I got to play during my set last week at Mission Deep Space 6 in Iowa City, Iowa. The track is entitled Colors by Daryl Villis. Featuring Forest and the release can be found on upon, upon You Records. Here we go. Anthony has been DJing for since 1989. He's been producing music for nearly two decades with releases on tracks, records, ultra records, subliminal records, and his own recently formed label. Wejack. Jack, a major contributor to the Chicago house scene and a force to be reckoned with here in Denver. Plenty more I could say about this guy, but we'll let the rest of that come out over the course of the podcast. So, Paul thanks for coming on the podcast man for sure excited to be part of it heck yeah it's it's good to have you on here uh we were we were gonna record the podcast last night you were gonna come over but uh uh well just a little breakdown before that um, Tuesday it was seventy degrees and sunny here in Colorado beautiful spring day and then the next day there was Fifteen inch, a fifteen inch blizzard that came through, <laughs> shut down wow. almost all. I know all the government buildings were shut down. Uh, Dia was shut down. Planes that were flying in were diverted and had to go to different airports. So Sam's Club in Costco was closed. too <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, and uh, I know shits deep when that place closes. Yeah. <laughs> and there was, uh, I think, a hundred, like something like one hundred eighteen thousand people without power uh, over the course of the day can you imagine how shitty
1: that would be oh my god when you're
0: fucking freezing and you have no
1: power yeah <laughs> who's got matches totally
0: but just in uh, a perfect colorado fashion uh half of it's melted today and it was 50 degrees all day so boom yeah yeah that's how we do here uh, yeah. i think by next week we'll be in shorts so we're good exactly <laughs> so yeah
1: man how have you been lately Good man, keeping real busy, getting ready to do this uh, tour coming up with uh, my group Ghetto Blaster, and uh, we're touring in light of our album Diamonds and Palm Trees, so uh, on a couple random dates, we are on tour with Bad Boy Bill from Chicago, which is also a Chicago house legend, and DJ Dion, who just recently got his passport and is getting his opportunity to uh, be the superstar that he is, Mm -hmm. a real good friend of mine, I've done a lot of tracks with him
0: recently. Ghetto, that,
1: ghetto house pioneer yeah and,
0: he goes back he was i mean he was, was one of the teachers in daft punk's yep. track on uh, homework he, he was shot
1: he was shot out and that for sure definitely one of the people that inspired daft punk which also thomas is a friend and uh kind of a crazy story on the circle of friends that we have but uh Definitely, uh, Dion is one of the homies that is getting his shine on right now. So I'm really excited for yeah. him. He's number one on B-Port as we speak right now. Just got his passport. Uh, did the the block weekender, the last one. He did. He got he got booked by popular demand. Actually, it was kind of an interesting book. I was reading the article that uh, Vice magazine put out, mm-hmm. and they were they were doing the last since he just got his passport. and Was doing XoYo, which is in London. It's Jack, uh, Jack Masters' party. Okay. Uh, it's a club in London. I guess uh, because he was playing during the festival and so many people wanted to see him play, but they already had tickets to this festival, they did this thing where they did a crowd-funded fundraiser to have him play that party, too. <laughs> so that, I read the article. It was really awesome, man. That many people want to see my boy over there, and he's been putting out hundreds and hundreds of records, and just uh, I'm real happy for him. Part, part of awesome. our wee Jack family is, you know, all over the place. You know, yeah. number, number one overall on B-Port right now as we speak. Fuck yeah. Head... Has he played in America ever then? Yeah, yeah, he plays. He plays. We're gonna bring him for a wee jack this summer, and uh, he's definitely in Chicago. He plays. He plays all over the state. So he, I mean, ghetto house to me is something that's just resurged now, but was a really huge thing in the early '90s, late '90s. Mm-hmm. And in Chicago, like the footwork scene is a real big thing, which is like a little faster booty house. is done at like probably like 145 BPM and uh he's a big part of that scene also he's definitely one of the pioneers of that scene so for uh for the the want of that i feel like it's been kind of hit or miss as far as the states because the music is so fast that most people don't really vibe to it in other cities like denver and other cities but now Mm -hmm. that like trap and dubstep is done at like 145 like there was an opening for that in the last handful of years and now Mm -hmm. like dirty bird sampling like booty house stuff and like oh, he, yeah. he just did. Uh, my boy Dion just did the podcast for Dirty Bird last week, and uh, which was awesome because he featured five of our tracks in his mix. So <laughs> can't hate on my boy for dropping five tracks. He no also shit, he also man. had the Resident Advisor mix last week and he played eight of our tracks there. So
0: good lord, man. So our
1: homies, like we stick together. Like everyone that's in our crew, like I play a ton of his originals. He plays a ton of mine, and vice versa with all the other people that we mess around with. And uh, it's definitely a family vibe. You know what I mean mm-hmm. when it comes to that. And it's like I try to always. I feel like I'm one of the younger guys in the scene, in that scene, even though I'm older. I feel like I'm still one of the younger guys because I'm the one scouting out a lot of new talent, the 22, 23 year olds for my label. Like, I want to kind of mix old school with new school with mine, Mm -hmm. but still have this this edge of like, you have the Chicago classic sound and with a modern 2016. So, a 16 year old like it and a 50 year old like it. Yeah. So, that's kind of the
0: concept of the. Plus, having that perspective from somebody who's that young and, you know, has yeah. that early raver's glimmer in his eye, you know. I mean, this is the first time I'm probably coming
1: public with the fact that I'm 40. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said you that before here to hear, folks. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. Even my birthday I'm serious to that. Yeah, even, even my birthday party. Like, it was a hell of a like, 39. It's like that one year makes that much of a difference. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's kind of funny. But uh, I feel like uh, I've stayed young throughout the years. Because, I mean, this has been my only line at work pretty much my whole life, minus record stores. So. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always around a younger crowd, a younger generation, and I, I purposely try to be around kids between the ages of 18 to 22 because I feel like having that perspective, along with what I know, mm-hmm. is like this really interesting, interesting space to be in. Because like I look at my feedback sheets, and I have people from Lauren Garnier playing my records all the way to like Sheena on, so it's like yeah. And in between, DJ Heather, Derek Carter, like, it's just, its to me, it's kind of crazy to, like, be able to hit that broad of a of a horizon with the people that I'm, I'm reaching my music out to, because I try to keep my music right now with Ghetto Blaster a little bit more on the stripped-down side of things, because mm-hmm. I always felt, like, the Ghetto House edge, the Chicago tracks were always this, like, in-between thing. It was mm-hmm. never house, it was never techno, it was never, like, hard techno, but... Dave Clark plays one records and mm-hmm. Carl Cox has played one of my records. And it's just so weird to have that broad of a audience for your music. And I find that cause like I've done, I've done electro, I've done trap, I've done techno, I've done tech house and I've hit number one on B with every genre, all those genres I did. I've, yeah. I've worked with dead mouse. I worked with Kanye West. I worked with common. I've released on Laidback back Luke's label. I've done ultra. I've done, I've done uh, nervous records like all across the board. Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to find that genre now after all these years that like is right in between mm-hmm. is awesome to me. Yeah, doing. dude. You know, so exactly I'm it, and about. it's really like because people I feel that go to parties and that that are even in our own scene here are very like I do techno or I do house or I do dubstep. It's like, yeah, you're living under a rock mm-hmm. <laughs> because like I'm not saying that you need to play all those genres. But if you're in this culture, no matter how commercial com- our culture has become, it's relatively underground to the rest of the United States still to this point. exactly. We could have 100,000 people at a festival. The fact of the matter is there's a rock band that does that every night of the week somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like we're
0: still kind of underground as mainstream as we are. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, you're talking about Ghetto Blaster. Who's, who's uh, the other half of that then? Well, the other half of that people is my partner know?
1: Zach Blitz from Amog. Uh, Originally from Detroit, he recently has uh, relocated to Grand Rapids. And uh, he, he's definitely had the Detroit warehouse perspective, too. And he's yeah. like, he's like two years younger than me. But I met him because they were booking me for shows back in the day, like 97, 98. His, him and his boys were booking me for warehouse parties in Detroit and Grand mm-hmm. Rapids and Kalamazoo. So we stayed friends throughout the years. So right on. It's kind of one of those things where it's like my mission... I was always going to go back to house music. To me, like, I was planning on doing it around 45. <laughs> that, was, that was about the age that I was like, I'm going to retire into house music and get into legend mode. And, you know, all my friends are Chicago house legends. So I was like, why not do that at around 45? But I, I had a crazy occurrence here in Denver. My girlfriend passed away. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a chance to rethink everything. Mm-hmm.
0: So do you guys do tracks uh, just... Back and forth online and stuff then? Well uh, Yeah, and he tries to come out here once a month too. So. Oh, that's good. Yep. Good to have that freedom. Uh, yeah, anything else coming up here uh, with events or your tour you want to talk about? Yeah, right now
1: the the events that we have coming up here in Colorado are pretty simple. We don't have too many big parties coming up. We did a whole bunch of them last year. And I feel like this year we're just kind of trying to we, – we have this residency at Pearl's, which is the old beauty bar and the legendary Snake Pit. We're uh, trying to rekindle this night on Monday nights that was happening at the place called Snake Pit. It was called the Skunk Motel. DJ Skunk, I don't even know who that is. <laughs> but apparently he was a big Colorado dude and he had a crack in Monday night, 300 people every Monday. So. Oh, wow. So we're trying to rekindle that and... Uh, Recently, my boy from Chicago is my neighbor now, Terry Mullen, and he comes and yeah, yeah. pops in and does sets. Yeah, he yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, he lives right back here. And That's wild. <laughs> it's kind of cool because uh, he does the night with us, you know, from time to time, and uh, we're just trying to rekindle that old school vibe, but yet with, like I said, like in- implementing all the new kids too. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just try to try to have a weekly that everyone can come and have fun with, and we're not trying to charge a cover like coming up right now. I'm bringing onions from New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, huge producer on a bunch of labels, and we're making it free. We're not charging mm-hmm. anybody, and we're just, we're, yeah. to, we're taking the loss just to educate and give
0: people a little Absolutely. treat for coming out every week,
1: you know. So, yeah,
0: and it's a cool spot, man. The owner's fucking awesome. It's just super. It's yeah, it's set set for vibes. That's so for we're sure. doing that, and we
1: have parties like with the Wee Jack thing. Like our goal in the first year, we always at least me, I always like shoot for the moon, and I'll settle for. Not making it to the moon, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, like, I always shoot for as far as I possibly can. And last year we wanted to start off with three parties in Denver and then do it in different cities because I lived in Chicago. Uh, my partner lives in Michigan. We were like, let's do one in Detroit. Let's do one in Chicago. Let's do one here. And then we have people from that we were intending on having on our labels in different cities. We we're like, let's do one in San Francisco. Let's do one in Dallas. So, obviously that couldn't happen the first year. We had to build the foundation Absolutely. first. But I was like... Out the gate wanted to do it. <laughs> but right now we're we actually have one lined up at the Wizard Lounge in Dallas, which is like the beta of Dallas or mm-hmm. like the Crowbar of Chicago. It's like a legendary spot. Uh, we have one coming up at Whiskey Disco in Detroit for Movement Festival. Oh word. I, I just today I'm allowed to announce it that we're having a Ouija breakfast during movement festival. Oh. So, so we go from six in the morning till two in the afternoon. We've got us, Paul Johnson, and a couple other people playing the party, so
0: Fuck yeah! Where's it at? What and whiskey, whiskey disco.
1: That's cool. where they, they filmed the uh, Chicago versus Detroit boiler room. There, that's where uh-huh. Han played. So okay, gotcha. Definitely, gonna I think Farley, Jackmaster Funk played there too. So we're we're definitely using that venue, and uh, we're going to be giving free eggs, bacon, toast, and hash browns with an entry. That's brilliant. <laughs> Sign so, me up. <laughs> yeah, we just wanted to do something a little different. We figured like everything's. I mean, I've been going to Detroit on and off since it started. So. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh... That's a whole different angle that no one's ever tried. Yeah, yeah. And I'm always, I mean, I'm always of... in Greektown when I'm there looking yeah, for breakfast because yeah. that's where the bomb breakfast is. Yeah. I was like, I'm gonna fucking beat that this year. I'm gonna throw a party for breakfast. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> breakfast and beats. So, speaking of movement, yeah,
1: I remember when it was free. It was. Uh, oh we, yeah. I had the second one. We rented a booth at the time that you were allowed to set up sound systems in your booth.
0: Oh wow. So
1: we were fucking gangster. We were like, fuck this. Let's let's bang it the fuck out. And make what it. year would this have been? The, then? I think this was 2000, it was the second okay. year, maybe 99 or 2000, somewhere like that. But it was the second one, because I remember we went to the first one, I was like, we gotta do this next year. <laughs> so we rented this booth and we got this vending booth. It wasn't like a normal booth, you could actually sell shit, so we could try to recoup our money, because the booth was 2,500 bucks.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And at the time, that was a lot of money. I mean, you know, it's still a lot of money now, but 15 years ago, that was a lot of money, or 16 years ago. So it was funny, because they gave us a map of the grounds, we're like, well, where's the entrance? Like, fuck that. We want that corner booth. That was the most expensive one. So, so, right when you walk into the festival, it was like we were the first fucking speakers you yeah, saw. <laughs> and like, heard. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up having, I think Gene Ferris played for us because he was there. Paul Johnson played our stage. We played Nigel Richards, played. It was awesome. You know, at the time, it was incredible. And it was cool because for me, exposure wise, I was playing eight hour sets, six hour sets, eight hour sets. I played as long as I could. And I was like, hey, does anyone want to fill in? I got to use the bathroom. Yeah, and yeah. I was playing for, I, there's probably fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 people coming past me. So oh, yeah. I, it was like I was handing out business cards, mixtapes, and <laughs> crazy, dude. It was a way really good weird. idea. And then we had another crazy idea. My friend, I'm real good friends with Bad Boy Bill. So at the time, he was running Mixed Connection Multimedia, which was Moody, IHR, Canvas, and Contaminators, all these labels that were selling huge records. As of Paul Johnson's Get Get Down was on Moody. And Heteris, which was another friend, he had Space Invaders, which was a hit record, too. He's all, like, gold Mm -hmm. records, you know? So, like, the labels were really promoted back then, and Bad Boy Bills banging the box CDs were huge. So I went to his warehouse before we came there. We were selling T-shirts, slip mats, CDs. Like, we were selling anything that they had, we sold. So we made them a bunch of money. We made us a bunch of money, and it was like... The most exposure you could possibly get. Hell yeah!
0: So, <laughs> did see? So did you do a tent any more years? Is we did. It, we, we never did it. did it after that. We yeah. did it
1: once. I didn't even need to after that because yeah. after that we were just getting booked all the time. So <laughs> it's like I met people from Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I there was a shitload you know.
0: of people coming through when it was free, oh, man.
1: Yeah. Like I met the guys who do the 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 WEMF, which was up in Canada. They don't do it anymore, but it was like uh,
0: wemf yeah yeah, 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 Those
1: guys I met those guys. I played for them and a bunch of other people. Wow. Just, just I heard being that party there. was wild back in the day. Yeah, just, <laughs> just being there. then after that, then a couple other years, I got booked for other things. Like I said, I, it was like the best marketing you could have in Detroit. Exactly.
0: So, Every single person walks by. That's I got a chance. Best. I got a
1: chance to play the legendary Club Motor that happened there because of that. I met Dennis Cox, who was doing bookings there, and I ended up playing in. Uh, oh, I forgot. There's a couple a uh, couple other cities nearby that I've played and. Just every cool spot, like the Works, we played City Club. I did an after party at City Club one year, and I, I remember when I got booked for it too. I was like, it was like two thousand five. So yeah, I got you playing from six to seven. I was like, fuck that, that sucks. I don't want to play six to seven. I was like so angry. <laughs> and I got there literally. I forgot. I'm like, wow, people do drugs and stay awake for three days. There's a line wrapped around the fucking building. And I was like, holy shit. It was like at capacity the whole time. Oh, I was really like, why shit. was I mad? And I was like, I was thinking normal city, normal party, and I was like. This isn't normal. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: fucking hilarious. But yeah, man. it was
1: me, Woody McBride, Angel, Alanis, Terry, and I forgot who it was. A couple other people. It was a good party. It was, it was fun. Frankie Bones, I think, played, too. Wicked, man. <laughs> Definitely cool, though. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was trying to think back, to when we I first met you. And I we might have been introduced before this event, but uh, when you th- threw uh, WeeJack, you first uh, started throwing the WeeJack series parties. You were in touch with my friend, Brooke, who, Brooke Knapp, who is originally from Iowa and lives here in Denver now. And you had asked her, because she, she had her pulse pretty close to the to the techno and, and the scene vibe here, and who yeah. who, who should you book? And yep. she, she, had, she said, you should book my friend, Ben. He's from Iowa. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's how it happened. I was just like, really, I was like, man, we're going to net this guy and he's letting me play his fucking party. Uh, Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's, well, it's, I trust
1: Brooke. I've known her since I started playing parties in Iowa, which was like in 2000, mm-hmm. so I know she's definitely seen a lot of DJs, and if you sucked, she wouldn't have recommended you, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I know she knows her shit, she has so. good taste, yes, that's for yeah, sure, yeah, so when she said that, even then, I still had an eyebrow up, and then when you were playing, I was like, oh, this kid's actually really good. he <laughs> fucking kills it, so, hell yeah, man,
0: I made it a point to find you and tell you that, <laughs> excellent, yeah, and, uh, yeah, speaking of uh, Iowa parties, uh, before we get into the history of Paul Anthony, I just wanted to... Uh, uh, plug there's a music festival in iowa city that's been happening i think for over 10 years now uh, called mission creek festival and they focus more on uh indie bands and i mean just underground music in general uh but they also bring like i think this year kevin smith is doing uh, a night and then uh the comedian mark maron is doing so they bring in comedians and oh that's awesome they, i mean there's a multi-range of like food and poetry and i mean there's all sorts of shit that happens but six years ago uh, the guy who throws it andre asked me to do the electronic music showcase and it at the time it started out as an all-night warehouse event like the last thing that closed out and uh for two years we did two all-night events but unfortunately in iowa uh, all-night ev- uh, venues are far and few between and yeah. they do not last very long so <laughs> uh it's been moved to several different clubs in iowa city but uh this is the sixth year doing it and uh we're super excited about this year because uh, I've been working on bringing Jan von Leer, who's one of my favorite DJs and people that lives out here, and uh, he's he's part of the Wejack crew, yeah, totally. big big part big part of the Wejack crew. Uh, mm-hmm. He's coming out to headline, and that's going to be awesome. He's super stoked to come out to the Midwest again, and uh, we also have uh, this other guy named uh, Antonant He's originally from, well, he's originally from Ohio, but. Uh, he was in Denver for several years, I think like a decade or something, and he produces some like deep dub, minimal techno kind of stuff. And he's playing. Uh, he lives in Iowa City now because his girlfriend's going to art school there. So he's been there for like two years, and he doesn't. He had, hasn't really known anybody, and hasn't been able to like get out. But he's. Nice. I mean, he owns his own record label, and uh, he's he's kind of a big deal out here. So it's, it's awesome to finally get him uh, out and exposed and then uh, always book some of the best local talent around there. We have Tyler Holst and uh, Dustin Oxford playing. And then, yeah, so we're, we're super excited. This year's theme is, uh, it's a deep space theme. It's called Mission Deep Space Six. Uh, and we're going to deck the whole place out and do like 3d map projection with oh, wow. nothing but galaxies and cosmos and all sorts of shit. That's so awesome. should be a pretty fucking good time looking forward to that. And that's, uh, April 9th. So, uh, yeah, if you just look it up on Facebook, mission deep, you can find that. And, uh, yeah, super looking forward to being back in Iowa for the, and helping out with this festival for my sixth year in a row. So. Anyways, let's, uh, we, we do got a whole lot to talk about, so it's probably going to be easiest if we just start from the beginning with you. Uh, <laughs> so you were born in Chicago. Yeah, the east side. Okay, east side, and
1: uh, what part of the east side? Uh, just the east side, the, the very bottom east side. It was actually pretty close to Indiana, but it was still Chicago. Okay. I was born there, spent a handful of uh, years in my young, young years there, and then ended up in Indiana for school. Oh, okay. Both my parents built a couple. My, both my parents are from Europe, and my dad's passed away now, but uh, both of them moved here from Budapest. Oh, uh, wow. My, my father's older. He was in World War Two, and after being a prisoner in Siberia for four years, he, shit. he uh, had a job for like a summer. Saved up enough money to get on a boat and come here, <laughs> and jumped on a train, went to Chicago, got a job at the Steel mills, because that's what was cracking at the time. Oh wow, man! And uh, that's that's pretty much how I ended up happening in Chicago because that was where the work was when they moved here right after World War Two. Oh, okay, so,
0: so he met he met her. Across he, he was
1: 17 years older than her, so he was friends with her dad. <laughs> Came here, set up shop, Oh, like, went back to visit, married her, brought her back. Oh,
0: gotcha. So, something,
1: <laughs> something to that matter. Mm-hmm. And uh, then after X amount of years, they had kids. They had my sister, and then they had me. So Okay.
0: How much older than you? Uh, my
1: sister is
0: 10 years older than
1: me. Oh, okay. So right on. Nine or 10, something like that. Gotcha.
0: Cool. So what was growing up in the east side of Chicago and... Indiana. Like. I mean, it was
1: basically like how how the Indiana suburbs and the south side and the east side of Chicago work for the actual city of Chicago, since it's so enormous. Is like until you get to about halfway into Indiana, do you even realize you're in Indiana? Because it's just like city, suburb, 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 then a farm. <laughs> so yeah. like when people hear Indiana, they think it's like far, but where we live, like w- once we moved to Indiana, like I could literally tee up a golf ball in my backyard and hit Chicago. Like it was like literally an exit down the road where I lived. So oh, wow. right on the bottom of the lake. So we were like, I mean, I hung out in Chicago on the weekends, mm-hmm. even in high school. Like the second I got a license, I was like, peace out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we hitch rides and go get records and at the record store Is that like Gary, Indiana? Is that- That's a little further, but yeah. That's okay. That's a little further in, but yeah. Gotcha. Not too far.
0: Right on. Uh, so growing up, uh, what were your major influences like did your sister influenced you at all or your parents? right out the
1: gate i mean i the first time i could recall house music the first thing i could recall was my dad was driving to illinois to get lottery tickets he was put whatever you want on the radio station i was like Ch-ch-ch-ch. it was some weird beat and it was like farley 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 jack master funk wbmx and like it was cool i was like this is Honk your horn three times if you're with us. I'm like, Dad, Dad, honk the horn. (laughs) It's funny because there's actually a whole long story about that, too. I guess when they would do that, the radio station would get fined hundreds of thousands of dollars because they were causing all this noise pollution in Chicago because so many people were listening to the house music. That's wild. And what year is that? Oh, man, I want to say 82, 83. (laughs) (laughs) It was a long time ago, so I was a kid. I was really, really young. And uh, I was born in 75, so I was like, what, six or seven Somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. So pretty much since that, like and then my sister was going to teen clubs. They that's what they call them in Chicago, teenage clubs, and no alcohol, but they'd have house music and they'd Mm -hmm. go until midnight. I remember she was going to that and one of our neighbors was Mickey Mix and Oliver from the Hot Mix Five, which was the original five DJs that were on the radio in Chicago. He was one he was I went to school with like his his sister or niece or something like that. And then he was part of the Indiana scene. But he was part of the Chicago scene because he was on the radio show. So it was kind mm-hmm. of like, I, as a, at a very young age, I was already into it. You know, like, you turn the radio on in Chicago in 1991... You heard Green Velvet's Percolator song and then you would hear like Bell Biv DeVo and then you would hear like Guns N' Roses on the radio. It was <laughs> house music was synonymous with top forty. Yeah. So.
0: That's probably pretty unique to Chicago then. Too. Well, trying to
1: explain that to people here in Denver is hard because they didn't get exposed to it that way. Yeah, exactly. Like that, they could tell you, Oh yeah, I was like at this party eating pills and they were like, Oh, playing this weird trance music, like see me like it didn't happen that way. It was ingrained, man. Yeah, for us. You are born like, into it. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> if you go back to the history of far, uh, Frankie Knuckles, like, he was a New York disco DJ at this Paradise Garage and moved to Chicago and disco died.
2: Mm-hmm. So these
1: guys were buying drum machines because they couldn't have the band. So they would, you know, imitate the drums and all these things with, like, a $80 Roland drum machine, mm-hmm. DR-60, And then they would sample old disco records because no one was making disco anymore. They had the giant burn the disco records at Comiskey Park. I don't know if you read about that. Yeah. So he was told that everyone was supposed to bring their disco records and they set them all on fire. Wow. Crazy story. So with that being said, it's like you were thrown in the mix of like, so these guys were trying to make disco and it turned into house music. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what, that's really what it was. These guys have like the streets named after them in Chicago and.
0: And it was called house music in like 82 and Well, how it or... got called
1: house music, from my understanding, there's lots of different stories. lots people were yeah. like, oh, it was played in houses. It's like, not, I mean, yeah, it was played in houses, no shit. But it's not <laughs> why it's called house music. The reason it was called house music is because Frankie Knuckles would play this music at this club and people would go to this club and they were like, you know how you go to a restaurant and you're like, yeah, I'd like to get a salad with my dinner. And they're like, okay, well, what kind of salad dressing do you have? Like, oh, we have a house dressing. Well, people would come there and they're like, "Hey, can you play the records that you normally play here, like the house records?" And it got coined as house music because oh, it was like the, wow. it was the sound for this spot. Mm-hmm. And it was weird because so people were trying to imitate the spot, and people didn't realize that it wasn't called house music. People were just saying, "I want to hear the I house records. House but yeah, they yeah. want to hear the house music. <laughs> so the bar down the street had this big, you know, sandwich board that says,
0: "We play house music too." <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it was kind of like. That's how it really That's started. crazy. That, that's the true story. Because,
0: yeah, I've always heard it's like, because they threw parties in warehouses. I was like, that's too cliche. To, yeah, it's yeah, just like, yeah, no, it man. seems like it'd be something more It like it, was,
1: it was a little more clever than that. That's and, awesome. And it was cool. And, and, like, I, I'm very blessed to be friends with the people that I'm blessed knowing, because, like, I was flying to St. Louis for a gig, and I was stuck in Midway Airport on a rain delay for eight hours. I could have drove there three times. <laughs> and I was, like, sitting there, I'm like, this guy looks like a DJ. I'm like, hey, are you Farley Jackmaster Funk? He's like, I am. I'm like, we've met before. we played a party together. And sitting in the airport with that dude for eight hours, I got the history of house music because oh, he was there from wow. the beginning of it. So, like, he, I mean, they, him and Steve Hurley, like, they did the jam Silk. And uh, they did the first, the first record that had, uh, which later I find out Steve Hurley actually produced the record and Farley kind of just, through his name, <laughs>
0: oh really?
1: <laughs> Crazy story. I don't. I don't need to get into all that. Everyone yeah. knows the history of that. But the long story short, though, is it was the first gold record of, of dance music, of house music. So, mm. hearing that story from a guy who was there from the beginning blows my mind. And the fact that I can call that dude my friend is incredible. My yeah. do records with him. He's, he's done. He did a vocal for our last Kettle Blaster album. Wow. I'm like one of the few people who actually own. Uh, Farley, Jack, Master Funk original vocal. Like That's we, wild, those man. people don't give vocals. to people, <laughs> Steve Hurley too. Like he did a vocal for my album. And these two guys, they're, they're cool, but like, they they don't usually do things together. Mm-hmm. After their history, and I have Steve Hurley on my album, and like me and him became good friends because I we have a mutual friend uh, DJ Skip who runs his label, and he brought us into the office because I was doing electro at the time, and they wanted to have a different spin on their house music. Mm-hmm. So like, hey, you should do. Some, I want to keep it within the people I know. And I did this one remix of a Selena Johnson track called Peace Pipe. And it was a remix of that old disco song. Put it in your peace pipe. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically, I did an electro remix of it that ended up being the tour starting record for uh, Fat Boy Slim that whole year. Oh, my God. So I, I, got a, I got a SoundCloud message from Fat Boy Slim. He's like, hey, buddy. He's like, you want to see what your record does in Japan? And he was playing in front of 100,000 people. that just blew it up. <laughs> <laughs> and the next thing you know, I Google him. I'm like, Fat Boy Slim, my record. And Glastonbury Festival, the 20-year t- the anniversary, or the 30-year anniversary of the Mixed Mag Party. This festival, that festival, I'm like, holy shit, this guy's playing my record. Good he Lord. made a video to it, too, and did
0: his own edit to it. it was all cr- over the fucking so world. So
1: crazy, dude, yeah. wow. <laughs> but yeah, I don't even know how we got that. Oh, far. no, it's go all go good. Tan- yeah.
0: Tangents are wanted here, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Go off if we need to. Dot stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, growing up, were you, what kind of hobbies or interests did you have growing up, did, or did you collect shit? I mean, I definitely collected baseball cards. I think everyone did that at one point in
1: their life. Mm-hmm. And then for me, I'm old school, so it was like garbage pail kids. And oh,
0: yeah. Like the first
1: <laughs> generation of that. Then, you know, then we did basketball cards. I think I still have a Michael Jordan rookie card somewhere.
0: <laughs> Probably worse some shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. So I, I definitely collected that. As far as hobbies, I played basketball and I DJed. I've been DJing since I was 12. So Oh, wow, man. I started buying records when I was 10 because I knew I wanted to do it, but I just didn't have the money to buy turntables and trying to convince your parents at 10 years old that you want these things that cost a thousand bucks (laughs) in the 80s they're like you're fucking high (laughs) (laughs) so when I got old enough to make a decision I was like I don't want my go-kart anymore can I sell it and they were like, sure, what are you going to do with the money? I'm like, doesn't matter what I do the money. I just want to sell it. And they're like, okay. So I sold it yeah. in the newspaper, and I went and bought Turntables and a Mixer <laughs> at 12. That's awesome, And the man. next day, I had a gig. How about that? Holy shit. I DJed at the junior high dance. <laughs> and they fucking hated me. They wanted to hear, like, fucking Brown Eyed Girl and fucking Hokey
0: Pokey. <laughs> and I was playing the percolator. I was like, fuck <laughs> these motherfuckers. <laughs> that is so funny, man. <laughs> Uh, so besides the turntables, did you uh, play any instruments or anything? No, I was in choir. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty
1: whatever. But yeah, I can sing. <laughs> yeah, I, I for used sure. to be able to sing. Yeah, so I, uh, could, I could read and write music. Yeah.
0: Did you play uh, basketball in, in high school then? Yeah, yeah, I did. I okay. was
1: pretty pretty serious about it too. I was I dunked my first basketball in like seventh grade. Oh man. Yeah, I had a huge growth spurt between sixth and seventh grade, and I was I grew to be six two. By the time I was in eighth grade. So for that, you were oh, huge yeah. then. But by the time I got to my senior year, I wasn't that tall anymore. Yeah, so. yeah. But I, <laughs> no, I moved up goes. pretty quickly in the ranks. Like my freshman year, I ended up, I ended up uh, playing two games, got benched for bad grades because <laughs> I definitely partied. And I decided to go hardcore with it. I was like, how about if I do my homework every day at practice, if I finish my homework, can I practice with you guys at least? And they were like, cool. So I stuck it out. I practiced every day with the team even though I couldn't play, which shows my work ethic from Europe. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just I'm gangster like that. So I, I practiced the whole season enough to play the last game. So I got my grades back up and oh, I was able yeah. to play the last game. And I, I remember – it's so crazy. It's so long ago I still remember my stats. I had literally 15 rebounds and I had 17 points off the bench. <laughs> so they, they had the meeting after the, after the last game and they kept me for junior varsity. Oh. And I played junior varsity. And then they kept me after junior varsity for varsity <laughs> freshman year. So my freshman year, I got to play against, like, a couple huge legends in basketball. Like, I don't know how much you follow basketball, but uh, I got to play against Glenn Robinson his senior year. I was a freshman. Oh, and he's a senior. Yeah, he's an all-star, NBA all-star. Wow. He was a Milwaukee Bucks power forward. But, uh, yeah, he, he was, uh, like, that was incredible. I'll never forget. You know, I was going to take a charge first quarter. I was like, oh, shit. This motherfucker just jumped over me and dunked it. <laughs> six two, dude.
0: I got a six nine. Oh, <laughs> he fuck, literally jumped man. over me
1: and, and dunked it. That was so embarrassing. That
0: is wild.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely an interesting time. But yeah, that was, that was the only sport I really did, and it was crazy because, like, my by the time I got to my senior year, I was like doing so much stuff. I had already I had a radio show on on the FM dial in in the Burbs. So it was uh, broadcasted out of uh, some, some suburb of Illinois, but the station was actually in Indiana, and shot out to the Sears Tower. So I, I mean, like it was it was on the FM dial, it was Y one hundred four one hundred three point nine. So every Saturday night, dude, I, was, I had a live show. Like we were in the in the studio on air interviewing people. I was, like, I know it's probably nice. hard yeah. hard for you to, to believe this, but like. Dude, I was like shy as fuck. Like I wouldn't talk to nobody. I was like really. Then I worked at the radio station. I answered a thousand calls in one night for the first time in my life. And I was like, <laughs> "What up, bitches? What's going on? <laughs> Let's meet up at Denny's after." Hey.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure.
1: I'll never forget this one kid too, man. He had this hot ass girlfriend, dude, and I was like, "Man, she's hot. I'm gonna date her." And it was Valentine's Day. And I hella said something really nice to her on Valentine's Day. And she went on a date with me behind her boyfriend's back.
2: Yeah. Because I said her name
1: on the radio. I, I know you have a boyfriend, but, you know, it's Valentine's Day. And I really like you. And we should totally go out for dinner. Power the radio station. That's all I'm going to say. i Ended up getting fired, though. Oh, you know, no. we, we got crazy with it. We would actually invite people. Two Denny's after the radio station. Hey, if you want to meet us, come to Denny's. Oh, We'd have like a thousand people at Denny's. I mean, it was crazy. We had a lot. We had, we had these, I mean, my boy, if my boy Alex, he's probably going to listen to this interview. What up, Alex? <laughs> this dude, we used to call him the Amico boys because him and his boys would park at the Amoco across the from the radio station. They would have big speakers in their car and they would just crowd up at the gas station knowing, knowing that we were across the street and they would all be sitting in the parking lot drinking and like listening to our radio show and calling in from the payphone and shit.
0: Oh my god. But yeah, so we
1: ended up having we ended up graduating that to a party in the radio station, and the owner of the radio station came in and uh, did fucking lines of blow and alcohol oh, and weed and dude, they were like, You guys are fired. They're like, Where's Paul? And I was hiding in the dumpster in the back. Yeah. Did he find you there? Yeah, totally, dude. We're like, You guys are done. <laughs> so we were done. He's like, you're
0: right where you need to be. But it was awesome, though. Man. It was
1: cool to have an FM dial radio show because I remember when growing up, we wanted to be on the radio so bad. And the fact that we actually got an opportunity to, I was actually giving my friends opportunities to do mixes for the radio. As long as I didn't mm-hmm. play bad words, I was like, I'll put your mix on the radio. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, you had to be pulling numbers. I mean, if a thousand people were showing up to fucking Denny's, yeah. Like, once
1: in a while, we do that, and we would nail a thousand people a day. There was literally the whole parking lot lying out the door. Like, it, it wasn't like <laughs> we, we were, were celebrities, but it wasn't like we were celebrities. We we pulled the we pulled the cars that we had all for one that was yeah. performing at concert. So we we're like, hey, watch us just with those to Denny's. You know what I mean? So it was kinda, fucking kind of crazy, man. So. Yeah,
0: totally. So what? What was your first official party or, or rave that you went to? Oh or, wow.
1: That's an interesting one. I want to say it was in like '93. The first one I went to, I remember I was I was a club DJ at the time. I mean that was like it was very common to DJ at clubs when you first started DJing. Mm-hmm. And uh, was there a lot more clubs back in the day, or kind there, of the same amount as today? Or there was every sports bar had a DJ in Chicago. Oh, really? Like literally, like when I when I think of like clubs in Chicago that bring international DJs to this day. I could literally think about 20 clubs that bring in international DJs at least once a week. Mm-hmm. Like, it's crazy, like, how many places play dance music or some form of it, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, sports bars and everything has DJ booths. Even restaurants have DJ booths. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's crazy. So, it's like, I was doing clubs and around the time I graduated, actually before that, I had, gotten, uh, I had gone to a place called Jubilation. With my friend John, who was working at Gramophone Records at the time. And uh John asked me to go with him to the record store one day. He's like, Hey, you want to come to the record store? I work at Gramophone. I was like, Oh shit, you work at Gramophone? That's like the best record store on the planet. (laughs) And he was like, Yeah, you can come help out on the weekends. Like, I I never was officially an employee there, but I worked there. Like I was there on the weekends and I would help them put records away and they would give me money sometimes, give me a discount. I did that for a whole year and uh, it was cool because at the time it was DJ Sneak it was Derek Carter it was Heather it was Colette yeah. Mark Farina it was Ralphie Rosario Psycho Bitch Josh Warner like all these people worked at the record store so oh, wow, and man. Miles Mieta and I keep going on and on about who like used to work there but uh, it was like if you put all of us into a room now and into one stage, it'd be a festival. Exactly. That's <laughs> you know what, what I was I mean? going to say. <laughs> yeah, so it's just crazy because everyone came up, but it was just funny. I remember sitting in the back talking to Sneak one day. He's over doing graffiti on the wall, not, not working. <laughs> when we, Mark Farida's working at the counter, pissed off because no one's giving him a break. <laughs> and he was like, so what do you want to do in life? I'm like, I want to be a radio DJ. He's like, yeah. He's like, nothing more than that. And I was like, yeah. He's like, it's aiming kind of low. There's, there's other things out there. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, dude, I make records. He's like, I'm going to Japan next week. I'm going to Germany after that. I was like, looked at him like he was fucking crazy. I was like, DJs travel? <laughs> it wasn't a concept to me. I didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. So when I realized that this dude was doing that, I was like, wow, there's a whole other fucking way. He's like, yeah, come see me play tonight. And he's like, here's where I'm playing. And uh, it was the Dalton Expo Center, which was also a club called Jubilation at one point, which was the place that I had a residency. Mm -hmm. One side was a laser tag arena. The other side was an expo center. Oh, wow. And the night that he played there, they had rented the whole facility. And I always wondered why we shut down at 11 o'clock at the teen club. It's because they rented it to rave promoters. Mm. So I was like, oh, shit, this is Georgia's spot. And I fucking walk in. I'm like, holy shit. There's 10,000 people here. I was blown the fuck away. I was like, holy shit. There's a whole new world. I'm like, I remember coming back. I'm like, how do you break into that scene, dude? Holy shit, I, mm-hmm. I want to do that. He was like, well, you got to make mixtapes or you got to put out records. And that was the first mixtape that I did. And I sold 10,000 copies of that. Oh, wow. And that got me popular in Chicago. So my first rave was exactly a year after I made that tape.
0: Oh, that's sick, man. It was
1: crazy. And it was funny, too, because I remember my friends who had gone to a rave. They were telling me, they were like, dude, you got to hear this DJ play. I'm not, I'm not going to say any names because that person's actually a friend of mine, so I'm not going to say who it is. But I was like, I got the guy's mixtape. I'm like, why are you guys talking all crazy about this DJ? It's fucking boring. You guys must be eating really good drugs. <laughs> and I was like, I go, just because you said that guy's the best DJ you ever heard, I'm going to fucking play that festival next year. And I put my tape out, and I got booked for that festival the next year. And it was crazy because I entered a DJ battle right before that show. And uh, they had come to see me. They, they only heard my mixtape. They'd never seen me play. Mm-hmm. they seen me play, and they were like, we were going to have you open, but now you're playing 12 to 1, and so-and-so's opening for you, which was that DJ. Oh, wow. And you're going to open for Frankie Bones, my first party. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. <laughs> I just, Dude, it was just lucky as shit. It was the right time at the right place. Oh, my God. Yeah, That's... it's such a crazy story. And, and that club jubilation, too, was kind of funny, because I had gone there because I, was, I got into dancing, so... I, uh, I was dancing or whatever. I was always in a breakdance circle. And my friend, John, took me to the took, took me to that club. And his friend was the resident. And it was probably 800 kids every Friday night. And uh, his boy was fucking drunk as shit. He's like, yo, John, play records while I use the bathroom real quick. He's like, I'm going to let Paul play. I'm too fucked up. He's like, who fuck's this kid? Is he any good? And he went to the bathroom and came back. And I had gotten out on the scratch. Crowd's fucking going nuts. And this dude's like... <laughs> Let it play, let it play. Next thing you know, he was like, you come back next week, I'll pay you 100 bucks." <laughs> so I ended up getting a residency at that club, too. It was Wicked. Kind of crazy. Yeah, So those are like my first breaks into the Chicago scene, really.
0: Wow, gotcha. And after that rave party, I just kept putting out mixtapes. So mm-hmm. I probably sold over 100,000 mixtapes in like five years. Man. So mixtapes, what was the process of recording those like? Like, would you physically have to... Debt recorder. I mean, would you have to record every tape, like play it through oh no no I, how would you I
1: recorded on an ADAT are you familiar with a DAT recorder ok yeah it's like a different uh, medium to record like we have a digital recorder now they had you put a little cassette it was like a miniature VCR tape that's what it looked like it looked like a VHSC tape if you've ever seen those before, yeah yeah very similar real fat tape you do your master and you take it to a printing company we used to go to audio video technologies and Lombard and I'd pay $0.60 cents for a duplication, and they would duplicate them for me there. So I had, like, colored mixtapes, like you ever seen the Beastie Boys mixtapes, like red and blue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had red, blue, green, orange. I or had every color you could think of. And I would mass-produce 5000 at a time. Oh, so, gotcha. Yeah, I would, so I would just record it once, give them the master. They would master it one more time, and they would duplicate them all. Them. I'd have them in a day. Gotcha.
0: And would you do, like... Little inserts for them. I never did. I went with colored just went color tape. Just with colored tape and bam. I'll show you
1: one after. We're done yeah, yeah, dope. <laughs> uh That was a crazy. That was a crazy time, though, man. I, I got to tell you, like, just having being able to do mixtapes and like having a guy who, like, for example, I had the promo of Stardust. Music sounds better than you. I had the promo of that. I put it on my tape. Nobody had it on their mixtape. Oh man, dude! I blew out of that. That was the tape that did ten thousand copies. Because like when they would walk into the record store, everyone was like, "Hey, do you have a tape that's got music sounds better with you?" And they're like, "That." <laughs> that tape. One. I was the only one on the shelf. I was the only one on the shelf that had that song for at least a good six months. So
0: I blew the wow. shit out of these. Tapes. And how many mixtapes uh, from like small time guys or, or whatever would be on the shelf? Like- there would be anywhere between twenty to a hundred. And would they? let anybody who like made mixtapes come in or would you, I mean, you... eventually
1: you'd, you'd get a fan base and they would, they would get your stuff. Sometimes the store, like the store guy that I worked for, he owned a bunch of like kiosks and malls. So like you would go to the mall and they're like these little kiosks where you get like necklaces and shit. This guy would have a mixtape shop. And he would sell magazines and other stuff, but he would sell these bootleg mixes that are totally against the law to sell. But this dude would buy a master. So let's say, for example, you did a mixtape and he knew you, you played rave parties and they knew you were popular. He's like, I'll give you 500 for a master. So he gives you 500 for a master. He goes and duplicates them for 60 cents a piece, sells them for 15 bucks a piece at the store. Dude makes like $20,000 off your cassette that you got $500 for. Wow. So I learned how to mass produce them myself and I said, fuck that. I don't want five hundred dollars. I don't want twenty thousand dollars. So I, I bought my first car with my tapes. <laughs> cash. They thought I was a drug dealer. I'm like, no, I'm a tape dealer. Uh, a <laughs> Tape dealer. Yeah, for real. And what was cool about working for that guy is when I would do my tapes, that dude would buy five hundred copies for me right out the gate. So I'd pretty much break even on my, my production cost because I was buying in bulk. This guy has fifty mark stores, record stores, kiosks, flea market stands. He would buy 500 copies and put my shit in all his stores. Oh, man. So I'd break even right out the gate. Wow. <laughs> and then I would sell them to rave uh, vending people and selling out of the trucks. So it was crazy. How the, how the economy changes. And, and people ask me, how do you make it these days? I'm like, I don't know. The fucking, I made it off a of cassette. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Fuck if I know. Absolutely. <laughs> <Like, That's hilarious. laughs> it's like throw darts with a blindfold. That's how uh, you make it. <laughs> I don't know. just <laughs> so a different day. I, I was lucky to get in when I did. I felt like I was the last generation of vinyl. And... Uh, and cassettes and shit like that. I, I really don't think there was too much after my cassettes. I don't even know how many other people put them out, but not too many. Yeah, yeah. I thought about doing another one just for nostalgic purposes. I was going to do a mm, presentation. I heard cassettes
0: year. are coming back. Apparently, I mean, I want a motherfucker. There was uh, who is it? I, do you know Bombardier? Somewhere. Okay, some some artist. Yeah, I think I think he might be from Chicago, but. Uh, my buddy Mike Walker was telling me, he's like, dude, cassettes are making a comeback. I'm like, that, no way. They're not, like, that's, <laughs> that's ridiculous. And then he sent me a picture on Facebook of this artist, Bombardier. He had his vinyl, his and cassette, and a cassette, like <laughs> a, a brand new made I cassette. don't think a tracks are coming back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, what year did you start? DJing then or get got your turntables and everything in eighty nine eighty nine okay yeah and then did you learn to beat match at first or scratch or I learned you, how to,
1: I, I was like a big fan of like rapping and like I, I tried to be a rapper <laughs> which is right. really bad I realized I You got any mixtapes of that no none <laughs> None. <laughs> and if I do you're never gonna hear them <laughs> so uh, so yeah I was a big fan of like Run DMC and scratching and stuff like that it was crazy. One of my first out-of-town gigs I thought was really cool because I played, a, I saw a flyer for a party called Sensual in Cincinnati, Ohio, and it was headlining uh, Jam Master J from Run DMC, and then it had Paul Johnson and DJ Funk, and it said, more acts to be announced. So I fucking blew up the voicemail. I was like, yo, yo, I see more acts to be announced. I want to be one of those acts. How do I become one of those acts? Mm-hmm. I was just like bugging this lady. She finally emailed me back, and she was like, yo she goes send me a demo so I mailed her a tape and then she hit me back she's like your tape hasn't left my car in two weeks oh, I-, I want wow. you to come down she's like, I can give you 300 bucks and uh just get down here and I'll give you a hotel and you can play I'm like all right cool I'm in I came down there I just remember sitting on the stage and uh somebody's like hey you want to smoke this bowl with me I'm like oh shit you're J Master J holy <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. shit yeah <laughs> it blew my mind I was like oh fuck I was like, you know, you're the reason that I even like grabbed my mom's turntable the first time. I was like, wah wah wah! I was trying to scratch with that. that was awesome, dude. It was so cool. I just couldn't believe I was smoking a bowl with this guy. Mm-hmm.
0: Unbelievable. That is nuts. Yeah. yeah so. so, how long did you do you think it kind of took you to to get the hang of it or get good at it? Oh, dude, I sucked right out the gate.
1: I was really bad. If you don't, I, I don't understand how yeah, you couldn't. Yeah, <laughs> but I, and I didn't have anyone really to show me. Like, no one. None of my friends could afford mm-hmm. it or do it. So, like, I remember when I had bought Turntable, I friends who'd buy records and come over try to learn how to do it with me. And I just couldn't figure it out. I just remember one day, like, I, mean, I had a gig the next day. And I played, I was horrible, just train wrecking <laughs> song after song. I didn't even care. I was like, BAM! <laughs> I was like, Who cares? And I would be like dancing behind the booth, like, Woo! I thought it was awesome. <laughs> But uh, I just, I think it took me about a year, which is funny because people pick it up in like a day these days. There's, you can go to classes to learn how to do it now. Mm -hmm. But it was cool because I literally like, it clicked. One day I did this blend and I was like, oh shit, that was on. Like that was like. That's what it's like. (laughs) It was really good. I was like, whoa. (laughs) And then like, I figured out, I'm like, whoa, there's measures. I never put two and two that things i learned in choir Mm -hmm. would make sense in this. And I was like, oh, wow, everything moves. 8, 16, 30, I'm like, whoa. So I learned how to count. I'm like, yeah. so then I was like, I dropped it. And I was like, whoa, it moved at the same time. That's awesome. Like it hit me. I felt like I had won the lottery. I thought it was the coolest fucking thing in the whole world. And I was like, all right, now I'm going to do this for real. So then I went, that day, I went and bought fucking $200 worth of records. I came home like all these new records. I'm like, oh, dude, I can't wait to do this.
0: And I was just fired up, man. So good. That's awesome, man. It's like a fucking drug. Yeah, it never stops. Since. Oh yeah, once that first one hits, you are like, oh my god, oh my god. And someone's gonna <laughs> it's like turning like off for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, haven't stopped that since either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what were what were parties like in the late eighties? I guess you said ninety three was your first. Like, my first wore- right, kids wore really, really, really fat pants. Mm-hmm. Like
1: people like will have like a thirty. 30- Waist kids were having sixty two inch pant legs, like big. They looked like they were wearing dresses. They were so huge, like jenkos and kickwear and Mm -hmm. stuff. Like it was a big thing. Candy bracelets were kind of a thing, but when I first started going to parties, it was dressing up with like fairy wings. Like girls would wear fairy wings and have scepters and
0: light toys and glow sticks and stuff. Not really, not so much in there.
1: Glow sticks, yeah, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't even see a lot of those. I felt like you've seen more people costuming up almost kind of like i'm not gonna say as far as the burning man because i don't remember seeing a whole lot of sequined pants yeah <laughs> at raves there was a couple <laughs> but it's more of a thing now i guess how we've evolved <laughs> you know but but it was the same idea as burning man i felt like people were just like they were they were um showing that they could do whatever they wanted to do and it was okay i remember mm-hmm. seeing people on stilts at parties and like just random shit like people would just like it was just fun it was like no Mm -hmm. one gave a fuck you'd be next to a kid whose parents were worth 25 million dollars you'd be next to another kid who's on food stamps Mm -hmm. and they all got along they ate the same ecstasy pills and listened to the same music and hugged each other (laughs) i remember the big thing when i first started going to parties because like obviously we have incredible cell phones these days we didn't have cell phones though we had bag phones (laughs) so back then no one really had bag phones people took planners like everyone had a little planner and that's how you got phone numbers. Like, oh, dude, let me get your number. Oh, and people wow. would carry planners in their backpack. Write down dates for the next party. Yeah, and- dates for the parties, put their flyers in there, get stickers, put stickers on their Oh, hands. yeah, like a raver passport. Yeah, it was, to- it was literally like a, what do you call Like a, like a trapper keeper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for all your rave friends. And it was like a giant Rolodex. And after five parties, you're like holy shit, I know people from all over America because people would travel to parties back then. Yeah, you know? yeah. I yeah. met kids from New York at parties, you know what I mean? In Chicago, because mm-hmm. Chicago was nostalgic for having the best parties.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. So what kind of music, was there quite a range to the genres early on, like in the early 90s, or was it... It was always house music and techno, but there was always
1: other genres. Like, I mean, you'd always hear other shit. Like, you, there was always a side room with drum and bass. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, the drum and bass promoter would have drum and bass on the main stage, depending, you know what I mean? But yeah. like, I know in Chicago certain things didn't work. Like like uh, break beats, for example, like I booked IC for one of my parties. Love the guy to death. I still play parties with him all the time. He's an awesome dude. Does not work in Chicago at that time. Like breaks were like one of the most hated things in Chicago. Like, wow. we, we swapped a huge party with one of the biggest breaks guys in the world. Yeah. but you know trance was like it was really weird because trance was a lot softer back then mm-hmm. it, like now trance is like really hard and crazy and acidy but like back then it was a little softer mm-hmm. so the big thing was having your trance DJ close the party out like we would book Christopher Lawrence for all our parties mm. he would close out our parties he was like the 4 to 6 in the morning yeah sitting, you know what I mean So makes sense what was was hardcore vegan? Chicago that cuz that's thing. where Delta nights yeah, yeah, from. That was that's my boy Dave. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was that's a weird that's a weird thing to meet that guy. That's one of my one of my buddies from the original days that I started playing parties. I was playing the small club in Indiana in Indiana with all my rave DJ friends that couldn't break through, but they were my homies. So yeah. we did a night together. And uh, it was funny, man. I just remember looking at the crowd, I'm like, dude, that's fucking Delta Nine, dude. I'm like, no. I'm like, dude, we're playing disco house, that's not Delta Nine. Because he's like, fuck, fuck, kill, kill err. It's like, isn't that really fucking Delta I'm like, No way. I'm like, hey dude, do you play parties sometimes? He's like, Yeah, I'm Delta Nine. I'm like,
3: whoa shit
1: <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm like I'm not gonna say I'm your fan because I hate hardcore, but like it's cool that you're at our party. It's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. He's got my girlfriend lives out here, she's like likes house, I like house music, whatever. I'm like, that's awesome, dude. And, like, me and him became really good friends. He would come out to our club night every Monday night. Wow. That was crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'd become one of my good friends. I played a million parties with the guy, and we played completely different styles of music. and mm-hmm. Definitely yeah, interesting. Yeah, I,
0: d- I find it so crazy that there there's actual... I mean, they probably don't happen as much, but from, from back in the day, man, there'd be... Parties that were only hardcore and gabber. Like, I talk to Rob G all the time and he
1: tells me that he's still travelling like crazy in Italy and Germany that's playing wild, hardcore man.
0: parties. It's wild.
1: <laughs> Rotterdam, it's huge still, it's crazy. If you listen to Dutch music these days though, like if you listen to like the laid back Luke's and you know, the different hard style kinda of guys, hardstyle is a kind of a side of hardcore. Yeah. It's yeah. a slowed down party version. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which is really cool. Like if you hear the developing from it,
0: it's Yeah. Of, that's it's also interesting, like ED, what's called E D M these days, like the mm-hmm. big room house or whatever. I hate it's, people. I hate people who talk shit about the name E D M. But go ahead. <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, yeah. like E D M, it it was stolen. The yeah. name, like it's yeah, because. It, they they call it like a style of music is now called EDM, but EDM is all encompassing. It's broad. It's, it's all well. of them, but like yeah, I like get really into this like, fight with Terry all the time. He's like, I fucking hate EDM. I'm like, dude, you play EDM? What are you
1: talking about? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, the name has been bastardized. And yeah, that's the problem. It, 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 it has been too. It sucks because I remember when we were younger, we would call everything electronic dance music. They're exactly. Like, well, what wouldn't listen to them like electronic. It's it's. A term that's been around forever, but I understand why everyone's angry with the major labels pointing well, yeah. it as something. Yeah,
0: or like no, I mean it's it's been scrutinized to this style of music, which is I think big room house is technically. Yeah. But the, yeah. the stuff that's like on, like if you flip on XM radio, oh, like Zed, like, for example, would be considered EDM. And it, it's like no, it's not EDM. Yeah, it's just shitty. It music. literally, <laughs> it literally sounds like slowed down hardcore and yeah. a, a little less like. uh What do you call it? Distorted, I guess. Yeah. But just very poundy and repetitive, like kick drums. Like you know, very very immature in a way. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's just
1: crazy how like one thing that was big that's taken over. I can never understand was happy hardcore. (laughs) I I can never understand that one. I played with a couple dudes that were really famous in that shit. I mean, I played sold out parties with those guys, and they would book a house guy for the end of the night. And I was just like, I don't get it. Yeah. And girls loved it. It was a girl thing. <laughs> girls fucking loved it. It was like they were like, oh God, Happy Hardcore. That's where you saw all the candy bracelets. Down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was big there. And the masks. Oh there. my God,
0: Happy Hardcore. What a shitty genre that is. Oh God. Makes me unhappy. You I'm pretty
1: open to a lot of shit. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I did not like Hardcore, but like... I'll never forget it. I, I got booked for an all-hardcore party. I was the only house DJ on the lineup. It was, uh, if you're familiar with the Dropcase Network out of Oh, out of yeah. oh yeah. Yeah, Kurt uh, booked me uh, for a party called Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And it was basically like this giant acid party. Like everyone, <laughs> I he had, he had this projector, <laughs> you know, like the school projector they write on. They had this, like, oil mural being made on this thing. And they were shooting it on the wall. And was like, whoa. Like, they smiley faces. Everyone everyone's like, hardcore. I remember Panacea played. I don't know if you know that name. He's a really hardcore guy. I'm talking like probably 190 BPM. And oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like 120 BPM house guy. I come in, and I just started playing. And I, the, I, I lit up the party, but I just couldn't believe Panacea was like – This guy, he's got fucking, like, spikes on and these weird bracelets and all this leather, and he's just like, love house music, man. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck, dude? Is this real?
0: That's hilarious. But it was
1: cool, though. I respect it, man. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. And Kurt's parties, I mean, Kurt, if you're listening to this, it's fucking funny, man. Your parties were always incredible as far as, like, the magnitude of types of people that came to his parties. They were just always so fucking... They were the ones that changed my mind on everything. Like, it opened my mind up to a whole different... The first party he booked me for was Little Further, which was before the Millennium Dawn New Year's party. Um, it was the first party he booked me for. He was a co-promoted with someone. Richie Haughton did a 12-hour set. This is back when he was banned from America. Oh, sneak. Yeah. He would sneak over. he sneak a, over? He sneaked over in a fucking... What, he like flying to Canada? No, he flew over, he'd drive over in a, a motorhome and say that he was going camping. and He would mail his records to Kurt's house.
2: Holy shit! And
1: he gave me did twelve hours set. I'll never forget that party. The reason I I'll never forget that party is because I got a chance to play uh, after him, probably two slots after him that day. So the party was just fucking cracking, dude. It was in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. I'll never forget. Oh, at NCN? That, that was... Black there. River Falls? No, 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 no. It was way different. That, they did parties there, but there was... Well, one. That was, that, that, that was where Further That was where yeah. Further happened, yeah. yeah. But Little Further happened way the fuck north somewhere else. I mean, <laughs> Kurt probably could tell you. But all I know is it was the first time they were like, take a right on XY Avenue and take a, take a left on ZX uh, Boulevard <laughs> and then you're going to see a glow stick tied around a tree. I'm like, is that really it? I'm like, whoa. <laughs> And it's so small, you couldn't fit your car through here. like, I don't think this is it. And I realized we're driving through a forest, and I'm like, then there's someone, they're like, hi, welcome to eat uh, a little further. I was like, oh, shit, this is it. Wow, we really, you hear your car, this can't uh, be right. And we got over the hill, and there was thousands of people. Wow, dude. But I'll never forget that party, because Rich Cotton played for the very first time Detroit Grand poop Sandwiches. Oh, and wow. that was the fucking talk for the year. Oh, God, dude. Everyone's like, dude, were you at Little Further? Did you hear sandwiches? I was so fucked up and out of nowhere was talking about making sandwiches. It was like the coolest shit ever. And that song still lives. It's made. Oh, like, yeah. Dude. I just did a bootleg of it. I haven't oh, man. Yeah, it.
0: I have. Yeah. My first time hearing that was in a cornfield in Iowa. And <laughs>
1: I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, my, my, my late girlfriend that passed, that was one of her favorite songs. When I sold my record collection, I kept that piece of vinyl
0: for her. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it awesome. It's beautiful. Did you travel out of Chicago a lot to go to parties, like across the U.S.? Or, I mean, were you getting booked to play? Or... I never traveled to go recreationally. I yeah. got invited to
1: play, and that was really cool for me. It was just a different feel. You know Absolutely. Know I mean? like, I'll never forget my, uh, just my handful of first bookings. One was that Ohio gig. I drove that one. And then the one after that was my first flying gig. I remember this girl named Michaela White. Came to a Chicago party, got a mixtape, called me, and she's like, I wanna bring you to Kansas City. And I was like, Cool. She's like, What do you charge? I'm like, Well, eight hundred bucks. And she was I was like, and a plane ticket, and a hotel, and dinner. I was trying to see how far I could push it. And she was like, Cool, 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 cool. I was like, Oh shit, this is really happening. And I was like, I remember I was like, Are you looking for any other DJs? And they were like, Sure. And I was like, You should book my friend Mark Almaria. She's like, Oh, awesome, cool, I'll book him too. So I remember me and him were at the airport and I was like, dude, this is my first time on an airplane. This
3: is fucking dope. This is fucking <laughs> dope. for shit.
1: Hell yeah, it was so cool, man. I was just like blown away. They were just like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know, let's go to your best restaurant here. I just wanted to try something different. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, did I just get paid to get on an airplane and come yeah, to another amazing. city and like headline and like, it was crazy, man. Like just those first ones, like, I'll never forget my first one, in, my first out-of-country gig was in Italy, in Milan, and I just remembered, like, I got off the plane, I started crying, I was just, like, looking around, I'm like, I can't read anything. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> I, I felt, uh, then this patriotic feeling comes in, I'm like, wow, like, it hits you, you're like, so these people don't see Chicago DJs all the time, so when I leave tomorrow, their idea of what Chicago house music is whatever the fuck I give to them. Wow. It's a big fucking that's 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 something huge on your shoulders it's a lot of pressure you're like wow so like when I leave I'm Chicago house till the next guy comes Mm -hmm. I really gotta fucking represent what I do right now it's a really it's a to me I'm good under pressure and I was like, "That's awesome! Like that's it was cool. I, I cried. I thought it was incredible. That's it was really cool. and since awesome Since my man. parents are from Europe, I I like traveling out of the country and trying different foods. Like I'm not really weird about mm-hmm. trying. It. I'll eat pig's feet, to tongue, to horse, like whatever. I've eaten all that on the road. So, I had horse the first time in Japan. Oh god! And whale too. Oh man! I'm sure, some activist is going to be pissed hearing that. Oh man!
0: It's delicious. People live off that shit. So Hell, yeah. <laughs> no reason not to try it. Think about how much sushi you can make with a whale. (laughs) I mean, that's, yeah, there's no tribes who feed like their entire existence revolves around the (laughs) migration of fucking whales. And if they don't get that whale, their entire village doesn't eat for six months. Like that's that's what they, yeah. Kids train, like they train their entire lives for that shit. Yeah. (laughs) so So yeah, just a little bit more about Chicago. Uh, What major events happened in in the scene or affected the scene like over the years? Or I mean, how was it like through the nineties and I mean, what can you say about it? I I mean,
1: I remember like, if you you wanted to break down like the cool parts of like the first time going to parties, I remember getting a voicemail number. Sometimes you went to a map point. A lot of people talk about that. It wasn't an every time thing, but it was a lot of the time. You had to go to a map point to figure out where the party was. And there was someone there. If they saw cops, they would move Mm -hmm. the map point. Mm-hmm. but then you'd go and it would never be an exact direction and you're like roll the window down shut up everyone be quiet do you hear do you hear any bass we're here. And like just the goosebumps i'm getting them now thinking about pulling up on the dalton expo for the first time i'm like that's where it is look at all the rivers they're all around the fucking club that's it that's it so we were excited about that and then we're like all right let's, let's park somewhere where it's like a non away zone that was always the number one thing because all the chicago parties were in the hood they were, like, in the worst neighborhoods. I remember pulling up to Route 66 once and giving a guy an extra 50. I'm like, hey, can you park my car up front and watch it? He's like, sure. How's the first car broken into? It was probably him. Honestly. Oh, <laughs>
0: my like, God. You know what I mean? So, like, you're always in a bad neighborhood. That's funny. It, it reminds me uh one of my second times. <clears throat> second time I went down to Miami for WMC. Uh, we we drove down, and I forget who was fucking playing, but we were going to some club, and we literally like 25 hours in the car just drove straight there I'm like we're not missing this party we got to fucking get there yeah. and we fucking pull up and it's like kind of in a getaway part of town and I like park the car and we get out and this this homeless guy <laughs> comes walking up to us he's like hey give me 20 bucks and I'll make sure nothing happens to your car <laughs> and I'm like that is a fucking business homeless man if I've ever heard of <laughs> Like, because right. I'm giving that guy $20. <laughs> right. I'm not going to be like, no. Yeah, because that's you the person. then you know car. something's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah, after we left the club, he was actually still out there, like, told you, your car's fine, carry on. That's <laughs> <So> awesome. But- <laughs>
1: That's crazy. I think it's almost like the cliche story for everyone I know that go to Miami the first time driving I drove the first time I went too yeah yeah it's the
0: longest fucking drive ever 25 hours you get to Orlando and you're like well oh, we're almost there no you no. still got like 6 hours you're yeah, like god dude. damn it length oh of god. Iowa That's incredible <laughs> I'll never forget I remember I was rolling with all my
1: friends down there <laughs> I was rolling with my friend John from LA Riots and Mark Almeria and a couple other guys that were producing at the time. We all drove from Chicago. We tried to play parties on the way down, but no one would stay awake. And I was like the only one who didn't do drugs. So I'm like fucking driving and I'm falling asleep at the wheel and shit. I was like, fuck, I can't stay awake. I was like, how do I, how do I stay awake? So I took my shirt off, rolled all the windows down. Everyone still passed out. So I'm like topless driving, right? <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna fuck with these dudes. So I took my pants off. I got naked. I got completely <laughs> naked. I'll never forget Zach was there too. Zach was At what point in this. the
0: drive is this too?
1: This is probably through Atlanta. <laughs> After the Chattanooga Mountains. And I was just butt-naked driving and Zach woke up. He's like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> I was like, yeah, bro, I'm like totally naked. Fucking, you shouldn't fall asleep for that long. And I just remember getting at the first gas station, getting out completely naked, pissing on the gas pump, and then putting my clothes back on. (laughs) And this is totally vouched. Like, Zach will vouch for this. He thought I was the craziest dude after that. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) We've had that trip to Miami was fucking incredible. We had a lot of fun times. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, my God, yeah. Miami's (laughs) insane. But, yeah, Chicago, uh, Oh yeah, so that was any the, big events? That was the first uh, that was the cool thing. And
1: as far as uh as far as big things that happened, I mean like the raids were crazy. Once they passed that anti rave act, I mean I, I remember being at a party and I'm playing, I'm killing it, just doing my thing in a zone, like and all of a sudden, like I'm like, why is the main sound system off? I'm like, so I turned my monitor so the crowd could hear. I'm like, maybe the fucking I blew the amps. I don't know, something like that. Who knows? I, I'm always in the red anyway, so I probably blew some shit. And I look, and there's a machine gun pointed at me. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm just playing machine. music. I'm not DJing. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not dealing drugs. I'm not doing drugs. I'm just a DJ. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. Put your hands where I can see them. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I put my hands up, and I just remember they were checking everybody. And they're like, whose bag of Coke is that right there? Who's, you're the closest to him? Cool. Put your hands behind your back. They would arrest this kid because it was the closest to him. Wow. The most, like, illegal fucking bust that you could ever imagine. And I remember kids were like, they had, you had to show your ID to get out of the club. If you didn't have ID, you went to jail. Oh my god! If you god, had a warrant, man. you went to jail. It was fucking pretty hardcore, dude. And so, when did that start? That was, I mean, that bust was like 2000. Okay, and, and then they started was, happening was in different. The scene districts. just
0: kind of just ascending, like getting better and better up until that point, or had it plateaued for a few years, or was it? It was probably at
1: its biggest at that point. Yeah, I remember we did. We did, uh, I I was part of a group called Boogie Tribe. Like I played the first uh, or the second live on the decks. And after I played, they made me a resident for all their parties. And uh, I think there's only one that I didn't play because I had a gig in Germany. So I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna be able to make it. Germany's way cooler than your party. But it was my cool, it was my team. You know, I was like on, I was on with those guys. But I remember our party in 2001 was kind of a turning point because someone passed away in a hotel after our party we it was live on the decks four. We had Armand Van Helden, K R S one, Raven, the Moon, A Track, Me, Woody McBride, like damn. a whole bunch of people. It was a big party. We cleared I wanna say fourteen thousand people paid at the time and that was that was a big ticket number back God then. Damn. So we had the Rosemont
0: Convention Center. Even if it was a dollar a ticket, man. Jesus I mean it was <laughs> it was uh, it was
1: literally like we our party cost about two hundred fifty thousand dollars to wow. put together. I'll never forget too just moving Rubbermaid containers full of money into the investor's van. I'm like, God, we should rob this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> we're, so not, we're not going I got like maybe 10 grand total. total. Good Lord, you won't miss one of these days. Yeah, but it was crazy, man. It was, I mean, those, those were some turning points. And then went, once everything started getting shut down, there was a couple people who were on it before I was, was things started moving in the clubs and to me, like clubs were like. You ever see the movie uh, Night at Roxbury? Oh yeah. That's a Chicago club. That in essence, like you had to wear a nice shirt, nice pair of slacks, no gym shoes, no baseball cap. I'm like,
0: okay, a lot of
1: so, so I'm like fat. <laughs> I wear Adidas shirts. I wear baggy pants. I wear tennis shoes, and I wear a baseball cap. Like mm-hmm. this isn't going to work for me. I don't wear shiny, yeah at the time shiny sequined shirts, were cool and like, yeah, you'll never catch me with one. No, of those. they're
0: man, fucking. Probably like five years ago. I mean, I used to go when I lived in Iowa. I used to go to Chicago once a month because I mean, we didn't get the names that in Iowa that you get in a big yeah. city on a regular basis. And we, I go there once a month, and we, used, I think it was at <clears throat> Spy Bar, and uh, I'd gone there multiple times. Like, like I said, like once every month. And we went there this one time. I can't. I think it was Chris Lake or something was playing. Oh, cool! And we were in town, and we went and. They they're like "Uh, you can't come in with those shoes, and I was like, I just drove two states away. (laughs) Yeah, I I came for like (laughs) I'm on the list. Like we're I came four hours from this, and my shoes, or I'm like I've worn these shoes like the past three times I've been here, and they're like no, we don't allow those kind of shoes in here, and they were just like tennis shoes, like they wouldn't let me, and and we didn't end up going in. Like we took a fucking forty dollar cab ride from like Montrose Beach to there and yeah. had to fucking turn like 80 bucks to be told that we couldn't like round yeah, trip that's like, for shoes that's so crazy yeah
1: that, that's Chicago like and, and it sucks too because kind of being someone from Chicago too like I have a lot of clout in that city and last time I went there like the mid they, they turned me away and they're like sorry dude you can't come in with that shirt I'm like dude, it's fucking Tupac like, are you kidding me like, it's a music shirt he's like yeah no dude like gang affiliated looking type thing you can't come in I'm like Wow, dude, do I need to call Nick or Sam, the people who employ you? Because I could do that. i like, you know what? though? I'm gonna tell them about it later. Like, I, just, I don't I didn't even want to pull a clown. Like, I'm who you know, you don't know who I am. Like, yeah, yeah, fuck all that. You know I mean? <laughs> I, didn't, I was like, wow, I'm gonna see Shibasan in another city, so whatever. I'll yeah. give him my, my demo Yeah, it's some unfortunate. Other
0: time. I mean, you don't have that anywhere here, man. Like, yeah. I didn't like that's what's crazy is like Beta, according to the books, like one of the best international clubs in the world, and. They, it's, wear whatever the fuck you want. Like, yeah. I, well, we're
1: also in a very, a very suburban style city. Yeah, without getting into kind of any laid ethnic back city, any kind of ethnic groups. I mean, it's dominantly the suburbs here. Yeah, yeah, it's. I've true. never been to a hood here. Yeah, I don't.
0: Yeah, I don't. They say they exist. People are like, about. oh my god, Colfax is so ghetto. I'm like. I would walk down Colfax and not be worried, dude. Chicago, like I beautiful. accidentally walked into places where I feared my life. Like yeah. you're, you're not
1: welcome at 63rd Martin Luther King, my well, man. Yeah. <laughs> or 116th at Hall State. You're That's not, actually you're that. That
0: reminds me of a fucking funny ass story. So the first time I ever went to Miami, it was for Bang Music Festival, and because uh, because Daft Punk was playing there, they had played at Coachella, and I saw all the videos. I'm like. I have to see that. So me and my buddy were like, we we're freshmen in high school and we got this fucking, we got our student loans and they announced Bang Music Festival and that they were headlining it. We're like, we're fucking going to Miami. I've never been to Miami in my life or anything. And we fucking fly down and we, we tried to do this thing where we, we ordered tickets on like uh Priceline or whatever. Uh-huh. And like, he looked them up, he looked up his and he did a joint thing, like book a hotel and he got, he got his flight for like 150 And the hotel for like a hundred, and then I got mine. I was like, "Well, you buy that, and I'll I'll go in and buy the exact same ticket." Because and so after he bought his and it was done, I went in to buy it, and that that was no longer available. Like he flew into Orlando, and then flew into miami international where they had me fly directly into fort lauderdale yeah so that was the difference like that's the the ticket thing they had so we had to arrange this whole thing where i had to i landed before him and then i had to catch a bus to miami international and then to our hotel we went through all that fucking hassle and then we both flew out sunday uh morning or after the party happened and our hotel was at it was called the homestead and it was the Homestead Inn and Suites, like it was really close to Miami International. So the, our whole plan was that we, uh, after the festival, he he had to fly. He had to be at the airport at like four in the morning because he flew out at like really early. Oh, wow. So like, all right, we pretty much need to just go directly to the hotel, grab our shit, go to uh, Miami International. You get on your flight, and I'll take that bus back to Fort Lauderdale so I can fly out like four hours later. So we leave the festival and. <clears throat> We, we have these like matching fucking Daft Punk shirts on and these fucking orange bandanas. And we're like, it's on, uh, I forget the name of the street. We'll call it Bedry Street. We're like, okay, our hotel's on Bedry. I know it's like 45 minutes away because that's how long the fucking bus took. But if we just start yeah. walking down Bedry we'll we'll eventually see a taxi and we'll fucking just take yeah. the taxi and we start walking and we've got like bags of all our loot from the show and we're matching costumes these two Iowa boys and it is fucking ghetto there's no signs of businesses or it's ghetto as fuck and we're like I've never been in this kind of environment in my life and we're like walking like the floors in orange. Oh, yeah. And we have, there's, like, there's like black dudes on like bikes oh. like going by us. Like, you look out of place. Like, we're like, and this one chick's like, unless you boys are looking for pussy or crack, I don't think you should be here. And we're like, oh, my God. That sounds like a trash. Yeah. Love it. So we were like walking, like, dude, we need to find it like for a half hour. We're like, dude, we got to find a taxi. Not only because like, we're scared to death of where we are but we're like he might miss his flight if we don't fucking go so we we're like walking and we finally start to see some like businesses nothing's open but we're like walking like okay okay maybe there might be somebody here and then we we walk by and there's this black guy uh, sitting against uh, like a, the light pole <clears throat> like on the ground and he kind of like looks at us and we don't look at him we just walk by him and as soon as we pass him on the sidewalk he gets up and starts walking behind us we can hear his feet like Five feet behind <laughs> us, we're like, "Dude, dude, like, what do we do?" And then, like, we see a taxi coming up on the like, like, probably a, a football field length away, dropping somebody off. We're like, oh! We like run for our lives. <laughs> like, awesome. we need the taxi. We need the taxi. <laughs> <Right>. And so <laughs> we we hop in the taxi. Like, oh my god, thank you so much, guy. And uh, I think he was Indian. And we're like, we need to go to the Homestead Inn and Suites. He's like, Homestead, okay. So he starts driving. And we know we're on that street Like we're supposed to be Just that way Just east A long ways yeah, Or west That way A long ways And he starts driving And he starts heading like south Like really south Like oh, wow. interstate And we're like Dude I mean, We're in the back seat. We're like Dude you, we need to get you to the airport. I don't think he's going the right way Like yeah. And then like finally Right My buddy's like <clears throat> This is my buddy Ryan Calderwood by the way uh, <laughs> But he's He's asking He's like Are you going to the homestead inn suites He's like yeah, Homestead, and he like he was taking us to Homestead, which is like a suburb, like way, way south of mini or uh, south of Miami, which is like where the Keys, like oh, where, wow. where the swamps are. Oh wow! Like he's going, like it would have been probably like a two-hour drive, I think, oh, or wow. some shit like that. We're like, he no. Scored too. Yeah, we're like, not Homestead. No, we need to go to that like next to the airport, Homestead Inn, and like we pulled up the address, yeah. and he's like, oh, he was he was super sorry, and he turned around. He only ended up charging us what it would have cost, which is like seventeen dollars, which was yeah. super fucking nice of him. That's cool. Because we were two Iowa white boys and know anything. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we get to the hotel and we tell him to wait, just take us to the airport and we'll pay him more. So we get to the airport and it's like, you know, like four thirty in the morning. He's like, Alright dude, I gotta go. I was like, Alright man, I'll see you in Iowa. And so then I'm there and I'm like, okay. I walked over and like this is where the bus was and there's no cars there. It's yeah. it's it's empty. I'm like, dude, there's definitely no fucking (laughs) shuttle bus right now. And I literally have $40 in my pocket remaining. And I'm like, dude, I don't know how. Like, it's a taxi ride would probably cost, like, at least twice that much. Yeah. And this guy's like, hey, are you trying to, this random guy, the only guy down in that fucking area, is like, hey, are you trying to go to Miami International? I was like, yeah. He's like, you want to split a cab? I'm like, fuck yes. (laughs) So we hop in a cab and we fucking take the cab. To, to Miami International. Yeah. And when we get there, he's like, $82.00. And there's literally the amount of money that I had, like, oh, I'm like, can wow. you cover the remaining two? Because this is all I have left. Like, yeah. I literally had enough money wow. to make it to the airport to make it back to Iowa. We barely wow. made it. That's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. And it was all worth it because holy fuck, did Daft Punk destroy it? That's awesome. <laughs> but that was my first, yeah, Miami experience. I speaking just, of taxis, I,
1: always, I, I taught myself this in, uh, in Croatia because Sundays most businesses are closed and like the promoter was nowhere to be found yeah (laughs) and I was like I need to find food I'm fucking starving there's no food anywhere near (laughs) so I jumped into a cab and I was like wait a minute before you leave I went to the front desk of the hotel and grabbed one of their business cards I go no matter where the fuck I end up I know where to come back to because it's on the business card. Yeah, yeah. And I learned that. I never knew that shit. I really, <laughs> I, and I was really fucked up, too. That's what I was like. Wow, I'm really innovative when I'm fucked up. Let's yeah. On, That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good I jumped, in, I jumped into a cab. I'm like, can you take me here? He's like, yep. know exactly where that is. Like, mm-hmm. Aw, awesome. <laughs> Heck yeah, man.
0: When did you get into production, getting back on track here? Uh, production.
1: Um, I bought an MPC 2000 in 1998 when I was going through the rave boom because I was making more money than I've ever seen in my entire life and I was like I'm going to want to use this one day so I'm going to start buying all this shit so I had a full studio before I knew what any of it was <laughs> I just got a I got a, a listing from uh, actually my friend Mazzy was telling me what, what the main pieces were in his studio I was like oh wow that's cool and he had a lot of big records on so I was like yeah so I'm going to get an MPC 2000 I'm going to get like a Juno 106, a drum machine. I, I, got, I had a little list of things I wanted to get, so I bought it all. No idea how to hook it up, no idea how to do any of that shit. I bought all this stuff and then, randomly some dude walks into the record store and he's like, dude, I've seen you play like a million times, man. He's like, you wanna hear some tracks that I made? I, I, I'm thinking about pressing it on vinyl and if you like it, like maybe we could do something together. And I put the tape and I was like, oh wow, this is pretty cool. I was like, man, we should make music together. I go, I have a full studio. I have no idea how to use it. He's like, cool. I'll come over and show you how to use it. He came over, linked up all my shit, and we made our my first record in 98. And uh, we pressed it on vinyl. We sold 2,000 copies in the city of Chicago, never outside of Chicago, never even got distributed. We sold wow. we sold them all out there. And uh, random people who are listening to this, I'm sure, still have this record because I was throwing away these records at all these parties too. I always always throw like 10 records into a party. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was smart though because I was like, you know, if my record sucks, I'm going to put scratch samples on the back so people can always use my record for at least scratching. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So I remember people hit me up to the day they're like, hey, I just want you to know the best scratch record I ever had was your record. I hated the tracks but the scratch record was awesome. I hated the tracks. <laughs> I was like, awesome, cool. <laughs> so, but I was always going through scratch records like crazy because they wear out after a while. So I was like, well, I'm going to press 2,000 of these I keep fifty for myself, so I always have my favorite scratch app. It's oh, nice yeah. and crisp. So Smart. that was the first record I ever did with my friend Josh Castles, and uh, we called ourselves Rhythm Syndicate. Our first track was called Bodhis. <laughs> <laughs> Booty, dick, and pussy. <laughs> and uh, it was the Mackinac Carney's EP. I'll never forget. <laughs> and uh, we went to go do our second record. We were working on it. And he went on this. He was, he was this, one of these dudes who was like into this like crazy, like, I'm going to hitch. I'm going to get a plane ticket to San Diego. And I'm going to hitchhike back to Chicago. Then I'm going to write a book about it. He's always like weird like that. Like It's cool. It's cool weird. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I think he stopped here in Colorado and was like camping in the mountains and died.
0: So shit. that stopped
1: me from making records for a long time. I was like, ah, brought up bad memories and I was already touring because I had mixtapes. I had at that time I probably been to like ten countries and probably like, I don't know, like forty states already. Like I had already been around quite a bit. Working at the record store, people seeing me, people doing mail orders for our store. Like my friend Tony in Kansas City, like he booked me for a show and I used to sell him records he would call and I'd play him records over the phone because the internet wasn't really savvy mm-hmm. for that. So I'd play him tracks over the phone. And I would send, he would send me money and I'd send him the records. So it was kind of an wow. interesting uh, relationship I've built with people around the country and in different countries. And I uh, started playing out like that way a little bit. And then eventually I got back into this. I ended up selling my whole studio because when the rave act thing went in, I went from like literally probably 130 shows a year down to like 20. Wow, <laughs> it, man. It, I was still touring and like I, I would come play Iowa City, I'd play like Gabe's because you can't anti-rave act a club you know what I mean so these little club spots I had played a bunch of different different places in America I kept playing but it was like maybe 20 or 30 of those spots and I would play them maybe once a year maybe twice a year some places and uh, the raves were just starting to fold everywhere so it was like I went from like I mean I probably made pretty close to a quarter million one year and then it went to like I was lucky to make 30 grand I was like oh shit like I remember one year I didn't cook at my rest at my ho- my hotel my uh, my apartment. I didn't breakfast lunch or dinner the entire year. I didn't never use my kitchen in this apartment once. I would eat out all the time. It was mm-hmm. just like one of those things. I was always on the road, always traveling. I didn't give a fuck. I was like I had money for it. Like, fuck yeah, it. yeah. It was it was disposable money because I had never made money like that. I came from a really blue collared family. My parents migrated from Europe here. We didn't really have much. So, mm-hmm. so to me, I was like whatever. I don't the fuck do do with money spend it so yeah. I remember I was living pretty frigorous. that's when I ended up gaining like probably 200 pounds mm-hmm. you know what I mean but uh, it was kind of like one of those things where like I started moving into the clubs around that time I forgot what was the question anyways I forgot where we were oh
0: we were talking about uh when you started producing oh
1: producing yeah so I, I went on a hiatus and I needed to make money so I sold my studio to one of my friends and after that like he hit me up six weeks later he like yo dude I got a record deal I was like what Get the fuck out of here. I was like, bullshit. I saw it on the shelf. I was like, this motherfucker. <laughs> I'm like, I give this guy my shit, and he figures it out. What a dick. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, come over and make music. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I just never did. And then finally, like a year later, I'm like, all right. I'll fucking come over and make a track with you guys. And uh, we made a track. that went number one on BBC Radio. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> really weird. Yeah, I did the vocals, and we all programmed the tracks together. What year and was that then? That was like 2003. Okay. So, so that's when I got really interested back to get back in the studio around mm-hmm. 2003, 2004, and that group was it was High Caliber, and I went as Paul Anthony as a collaboration, and uh, it was Brian Jones from Golf Clap. Okay. And it was Mike Gillenwater. Uh, they used to do a group called High Caliber. They learned how to produce together. They both they're from the home same hometown. Mike does really indie new disco stuff now, and Brian does Golf Cap. You gonna golf clap cap whatever clap. yeah he, he hung up the Brian Jones thing he was doing real well with that too but long story short they, everyone's doing their own things but we all continued to want to produce and then I ended up living with Mike and we started a group called the Funk Monkeys and that's what I really got immersed into because I sold these guys my studio and then Mike kept building his studio and when they broke up Me and him became roommates, and we started a group called The Funk Monkeys, and our first record came out on Subliminal Records. We were friends with Harrison Crump and Daje, and they fucked with Eric Murillo and had a record deal with Felix the Housecat and them, and he was like, do a remix for my track, bro, and I'll get you on Subliminal. And I was like, oh, shit, okay, that's a big deal. Back Mm -hmm. then, being on Subliminal was like, that was the biggest record label for house music altogether. So uh, we did that, and I remember at first uh, when Fetty LeGrand sample Put Your Hands Up for Detroit when he did that and that was climbing up the charts i remember at the first week he came out we were out selling it we were at like number seven in the bbc radio one top 100. wow and he was like down on the bottom and then all of a sudden he blew up to number one yeah and, and we fell off the charts but it was cool though like those guys were playing our record back then and that made us want to make more and more Absolutely. and more so we just kept making records man and like i, I probably have pretty close to 200 vinyls out as the Funk Monkeys and Paul Anthony and different stuff. So Wicked. I was on Terry Mullen's Catalyst label. I was on Dust Tracks. So I was on Angel Ones' A Squared mm-hmm. on vinyl at one point. Mm-hmm. So kind of crazy, man. I've done, done a lot of stuff under yeah. those names. And then then me and Mike kind of slowed down, and he wanted to move back to where he was from originally and kind of settled down in his life buy a house, finish school. And uh, I started doing Paul Anthony stuff, and I teamed up with this kid named ZXX from my hometown, In Indiana, I was like, "Oh wow, a kid from Indiana produces—that's awesome!" And me and him pounded out probably in five years almost two thousand tracks. And out of those tracks, we put out probably about—I want to say—I have about four hundred and twenty-five singles out, and with remixes and stuff. And we, me and him, we we made this pact when we first started producing. We're like, "We're not going to stop working together until we make it." Even though, like, in my eyes, I kind of made it already. When I got on my first plane, I thought I made it. I was like, dude, (laughs) that's more than any of my other friends ever done. Mm. But I was like, let's stick together till we're superstars. Like, let's do that. And me and him, like, we never achieved superstars. But, I mean, we were on BBC Radio One Essential Mix with tracks. We did remixes for Steve Angelo. Like, we did some really big shit for our time. Mm. I mean, to to what I think is big. The next guy may not be as big, but when you Google search your track and it comes up in Tiesto's playlist or Laidback Luke's playlist <laughs> or even David Guetta when he was number one I was on his podcast like it blows my mind like I, do. I don't I mean I know these yeah, people but I don't know these people you know like, these guys yeah. are making like hundreds of thousands of dollars a night and for them to play my record, I'm just a fucking little kid from the south side of <laughs> Chicago, man. Like that blows my fucking mind, man. Like it is, man. In, in one hand, it's like, yeah, I expect it. I, like when I put records out, I expect people to play my fucking records because I, I give it to everyone. I want everyone to play my stuff if they like it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I kind of make music for everybody. You know, like mm-hmm. I, right now, what I'm doing with Get Up Blasters, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to take. A sound that was really popular in the 90s and refine it. I want a 2016 version of Ghetto House because when Ghetto House first started, it was at 122 BPM, 124 BPM. It was a tracky sound that was really cool that lasted throughout time. But I feel like those tracks are so underproduced compared to what's out now. It's cool to play those tracks, but I want one with fresh drums more compression better EQing a re, like a remastered mm-hmm. version but maybe a little different baseline or something just a remix of it all so my goal right out the gate with Ghetto Blaster was I'm going to take every classic that I loved, I'm going to remake them all and then I was like fuck I know the lady who owns Trax Records maybe I should send this to her and she's like I'll put it out for you I'm like awesome <laughs> all of a sudden I did a uh, Frankie Knuckles remix I'm like are you kidding me and J V Principal and Ron Hardy like I got all these crazy records on Trax Records like DJ Pierre yeah. and I'm like
0: People see that and you are like, "Oh shit! I haven't heard that track in forever." Yeah,
1: like, like I, I remixed "Fantasy Girls," one of like the first records I loved. You know what man. I mean? Like to be able to remix that, to be That's able to work with awesome, Farley man. or Steve Hurley, like it's like a dream come true to me. You know, Completely, like, yeah. Like I can't announce what I got booked for, but Farley booked me for a show, and he asked me, "He's like, what do you charge?" I'm like, "Dude, I don't know." I almost started crying on the phone. I'm like, "Dude, you're like the first guy I ever heard of." And you're talking to me about booking me for one of your shows. Like I've, How many years later, too? Yeah. Jesus uh, dude, it blows my mind, man. Like, to me, it's just like, if I were to end it all tomorrow, I've seen more than I ever thought I ever would, man. Like, mm-hmm. I've met great people. I've, I've seen the world. I've been to Japan. I've been to Bulgaria. I've been to Turkey. I've been to Dubai, London, Spain. I've been everywhere, man. I've, I've seen mm-hmm. the world. And I'm a poor kid. Like, yeah. I can't afford to do that shit in my off time. You know I All nation. powered by your passion, man. Dude, it's, it's it, fucking it's awesome. Crazy to me. It, 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 it's, it's surreal to me. Like, when you look at my passport, when I look at my passport, I'm like, wow, I was
0: there. I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, it's crazy,
1: dude. It's just the experiences. And a lot of it, because I've never been like uber famous. So, like, a lot of it's me traveling by myself. So, it's like experiences. The only outlet I get is like this on this podcast. I could tell you about it. I could try to put you into my mindset of what it was like to be there. Cause like I just couldn't afford to take mm-hmm. any. I wasn't, I wasn't baller status. So like to be able to like tell that story and share it with people yeah. who will see it eventually or never see it. Like it's cool that I could share that with people. Cause it just, it, it's yeah. mind blowing to me still to this day. Like I don't look at me as any different than you or the next guy. But when I look back at what I did, I have to stop sometimes. And I'm like, so I was like, have you ever stop and pay attention to what the fuck you did? And I'm like, no, and I do. It. I'm just like, I, I, I got I to gotta try to not do that, though, because a lot of people, when they do that, they start living in the past.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I feel like I'm only as good as my last record. So if my last record didn't do well, I'm driven to like hit a number one again. Like, yeah, And that's right. the thing. Like a lot of people are like, well, why don't you do this, and why don't you do this to do number one? It's like, I always look at motherfuckers, and I'm like, dude, if I can hit number one once, I could do it a hundred times. Mm-hmm. But I have to recreate myself. And that's the thing, you know, like, laid Back Luke interviewed me for one of his... Uh, behind the scenes with the DJs, and he said something that was really blowing my mind. That he would say this about me because I mean he's like the number twenty DJ in the world. He gets like forty thousand a show. This guy says, "He's like, oh, it's always good to meet up with Paul Anthony. He's like, it's always cool to see someone from my generation that's still relevant today." Mm. I'm like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> I mean, like, you think about that. You it's, try to stay. Like, everyone's like, oh, dude, Zed blew up in two weeks. Or two years, like, okay, cool, but can the dude last twenty years? Yeah, exactly. I mean I can I'm still playing big ass parties. I played my first eighty five thousand person crowd in ninety eight. I played a 45,000 person crowd like last year in Guatemala. You know what I mean? I was mm-hmm. opening for Dash Berlin and Poly V a sold out soccer stadium. <laughs> to me, like, to be able to still kind of do that every year and have a couple festivals that I do. Like, even here, I ended up playing the zombie crawl. I ended up playing for 20,000 people. Like, yeah, I saw who, that who, picture, who, man. That was nuts. Who <laughs> in Colorado said I played for 20,000 people? Yeah, they're
0: all fucking dressed I, up as zombies. I,
1: I, I, love, I, I, love, I love my friend Jenny who hooked me up to that party and I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was getting a chance chance to play that you know and and of course I played Ghostbusters who wouldn't yeah <laughs> it was Halloween time that was awesome ghetto busters
0: yeah it was, it was cool man. yeah right
1: but it was just cool to be you know like I said to see all the things that I've seen by accident you know I always try to do certain things when I'm on the road too like when I was vinyl days I always went to the record store in town Mm-hmm. I thought it was really important to support these shops that sold records that sold my records you know first thing i look for is my records I'm like alright cool what's hot here and I would buy records in every city you know what I mean I, I remember some of the best record store experiences in different oh, yeah. cities I mean you know? you're
0: saying fucking Mark Farina and
1: oh yeah, well, it's that was, like that, working yeah that was at our store yeah <laughs> I remember going to Tweakin Records in San Francisco and upstairs and going to Amoeba Records and just going to all these different shops I would seek them out man you know I still do sometimes like if there's still a record store in that town I'll go to, mm-hmm. I went to Amoeba last time I was in San Francisco bought a couple movies bought a couple vinyls That's You know, awesome. it's important to keep that culture alive man because like nowadays think about this if you have a kid and you're like yeah I make music cool let me see it you're to know, show them a fucking flash drive it's cool to show up a record you know what I mean yeah like, exactly like I missed that so like I still want to have that culture around like I, like that that's definitely the future of Wee Jack and Tracksman Records because I'm part of Tracksman Records with Robert Armani too we're we definitely have a couple distribution deals where we're going to press everything on vinyl all our bigger records at least the ones that sell a little bit better we're going to make sure that they're on vinyl and put those out so really excited about that leg of it too because vinyl still sells pretty well in certain markets so it's not yeah
0: bad. yeah it's definitely a guy of resurgence for
1: sure man. they <laughs> need to resurge making the turntables yeah exactly <laughs> did, didn't they start remaking them they said they were going to I don't know Technic- if they, I don't know if they, they ever have. did that's so
0: ridiculous that they stopped I,
1: uh, yeah I don't know I don't know what the purpose was I mean it, it isn't I mean, even- maybe
0: I just hang out with too many people who've rock yeah. vinyl but I, yeah. there's definitely a
1: demand in my world that, yeah. I, that I know of it's in my those turntables were the best ones though man yeah all these other versions like someone's like yeah, I got Vestax. I'm like cool I'll play CDs <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fuck your Vestax, dude We uh-huh. got Technique 1200 like, why yeah yeah <laughs> I mean it's like a pioneer deck compared to like something else it's like would you I mean you could play on other CD players but even the shittiest pioneer is better than any other off brand exactly yeah so totally
0: so yeah let's kind of jump to now uh So when did you decide to make the move to Denver? Or When did you move?
1: Uh, It was in 2009. My girlfriend I met in Chicago. She was from here, and for schooling purposes, she wanted to come back to Colorado and had just finished a semester over there and was like, what do you think about Denver? I was like, I really don't think about it much at all. (laughs) I pass through there a couple times a year. It's pretty. I don't know if I'd live there. It <laughs> was always like my consensus. I'm not a nature dude. I grew up in the concrete jungle. You know what I mean? So like, seeing a mountain, be like, oh, that's so beautiful. That wasn't me. <laughs> I was like, cool. Can we get high and of leave? Chicago, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we had a hill. It was a garbage dump. <laughs> Mount Trashmore. I, I, think, I think I actually read that in the, in the Times, the Chicago Times. They said uh, if the Winter Olympics were ever to come to Chicago, the ski would be on the garbage dump. Because <laughs> that shit's tall as fuck. It's for real. But, uh, yeah, so it was kind of like uh, she she wanted to come back here. And she was like, we could try a long-distance relationship or you could come. And I was like, you know what? I've lived here for 32 years or 33 years of my life. Cool. Let's get the fuck out. I came to play a party here on Halloween, which ended up being... 11,000 people at the Western Complex the promoter was only expecting 6,000 people and it was phew, wow. it was the biggest Halloween party that had happened in 2009 in 2009 yeah so uh, it was an off promoter it wasn't the big promoter in town the big promoter shit his pants when he saw the numbers and it was me wow. me my friend Hateris uh, Bam Bam MC Flipside and I forgot who else there was one other guy and uh, yeah, it was it was really crazy man it was just a big ass party and I was like cool I just made a shitload of money i'm gonna stay for a couple days i'm gonna find our apartment now and pay for the next two months and i'll move here in the next month so when i was here me and her went and searched five different apartments. we found one the owner of the building was from chicago and i dj'd for his brother's (laughs) nightclub in chicago (laughs) his brother owns spin yeah i was like yeah i'm gonna take this place i don't even like this house all that much but because you're from chicago and you're an asshole too i'm in (laughs) like let's do it so we moved in it was funny because that was before the boom of denver so I got a two-bedroom apartment in Cap Hill for six seventy-five a month. You gotta be shitting no, me! No, dude, that place goes for twenty-five hundred now. It's oh so crazy. My
0: God, that's for six seventy-five. Two dude. bedrooms.
1: Yeah, and then I ended up renting his whole house. I, I, it was because it was a sectioned-off house. I ended up getting the whole house for fifteen hundred. It was seven bedrooms, three floors, three, floors, three kitchen, three bathrooms. Mm-hmm. I took the whole thing. It was awesome. Wow. <laughs> like, so I lived there for the first two years, and then me and her decided to. Uh, we decided to get into an apartment, just the two of us, because we had a couple of roommates. And it's just like, it's the worst thing ever, like, trying to be intimate with your girlfriend. You just hear, hey, buddy, what's going on? I'm a little busy. you <laughs> like, like, got this drag. Yeah. It's it was just weird, man, you know. It's just like, so we wanted to have some privacy and live our lives. And, yeah, so that's what brought me here to Denver. It was like that. It was never because of the music scene I was playing here years before I even decided to move here. But then once I started being here long enough, I started making a lot of friends here. And it's so weird, too, because I feel, and tell me if you believe this, because you, now that you lived here for a while, mm-hmm. it's like we find each other from the Midwest. <laughs>
0: like, oh, God. The yeah.
1: Iowa, Wisconsin, Chicago, Detroit connection is ridiculous here. Oh, yeah. We find each other. Like it's, it, I feel like it's the attitude, it's the kind of foods we like. Mm-hmm. like. Like pearls. The reason we all like pearls and we all like the, dude, if you ever notice, ask everyone in that area walking around during the daytime where they're from. of them are from Chicago it's crazy (laughs) like I was handing out flyers for one of my parties that threw in that neighborhood not like when I first moved here dude everyone's like oh dude I'm from Chicago I'm from Chicago I'm like oh wow crazy this is like the Chicago fucking neighborhood so it's kind of weird, you know what I mean? Like, to me, I feel like we find each other. You know? Oh, yeah. Same taste and shit, and you know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah. So We definitely bring a, d- a different vibe, too, you know? I mean, the Wee Jack, like, I know that was one of your questions you wanted to ask me about, like, the Wee Jack and how that got started. I'm just going to jump to it, because Wee Jack was, to me, after I decided to get away from Electro and Trap and Dubstep and all that stuff that I was producing, and I decided to... Bring it back to Chicago sound for me, and like I said, revamp the sound. But what I decided to do is, Denver is so oversaturated. There's there's more headliners that come through here than even Chicago. It's, yeah. it, it, this is a huge destination right now.
0: So headliners will come here to vacation even if they're not playing. Right? Dude, Andy <laughs> Caldwell
1: just got here. He's gonna be doing Ben's podcast on Friday he's going skiing like
0: crazy yeah yeah. we're gonna kick it with this dude tomorrow we vacation vacation where we live (laughs) yeah same thing with my
1: I'm I'm booking onions coming up and same Mm -hmm. thing he's passing through and I just grabbed him while he's coming through well he's coming with his dog (laughs) you know what I mean that's awesome so uh long story short though I decided if I'm gonna be in the game here I mean I can go fight for you know like or Claude Von Stroke or this guy or that guy or I could take my corner of the scene everyone's got their little corners of what they do mm-hmm. and I decided to concentrate on just Chicago Detroit New York just like the warehouse style stuff that I'm into mm-hmm. that's all I'm going to book for my parties I'm going to book people like Terry Mullen Woody McBride robert armani i'm gonna go for gene ferris i might upgrade it and try to steal sneak from the hundred <laughs> if you Dion. yeah dion's gonna be, i'll be his first one here he's never been here before so i'll okay. bring him and uh yeah, my my goal is to go after my friends that have no loyalty to any of these promoters because like i mean like gene ferris played for beta but Gene Ferris will play for me, too, because that's been my boy for 20 years. Mm-hmm. If he wouldn't, I'd be like, yo, why are you getting funny on me? <laughs> you know what exactly. I mean? Like, that's my boy, man. I'd do anything for that dude. Mm-hmm. Just like I would Terry and just like I would Paul Johnson. Those are my brothers, man. Those are my fucking dudes, man. Like, Paul. Exactly. I posted on Facebook today, hey, I'm going to do a Paul Anthony album. Paul Johnson, his, he responds. He's like, "Yo, dog, this is a guy with gold records that's been around the world a hundred times, and then taught Thomas Van galter how to produce music. like mm-hmm. He's the first shout out and teaches. Interviewing him when he comes here, I'm gonna uh, get him on your Johnson. podcast. That's that's a fucking story you got to hear. But this guy, you know what I'm saying? Like hitting me up on Facebook on my wall, international superstar, which is my friend. I don't look at him that way. I knew him before that big ass record happened. Mm-hmm he's over here on my wall being like, yo man, it's all about strategy. I'll hit you up in a little bit. PA. that's my, that's my brother. You know what I mean? That's my, that's my dog. Other dudes like would shit if they seen him. And like, that's just my dude who hits me up on Facebook. You know what I mean? Like, I remember I met uh Cyrus hood from the cuff guys out of, uh, out of, uh, France, the mean edge and dancing. And, uh, Cyrus hood, Cyrus hood sent me an email, showed it to you. It says, do you really know Paul Johnson? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, dude, that's my boy, man We've Ate at Mister Submarine and shared pickles together. That's right? yeah. <laughs> my dog. Yeah, of course, dude. He's like, my dude. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. of course, I of course I know him, man. I know him. I know him more than I work with him. Let's put it that way. <laughs> he's a superstar. It's hard to work with him because he's so tied into all these labels, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but my idea with Wee Jack is to create what I grew up in Chicago and Detroit, seeing and playing my whole life. That's not here. You know, like, people will get a coffee shop. People will get a warehouse. People will throw a barbecue and have a party. That's what it's about, dude. It's about adding music to friendship and having all of us get to know each other. And a lot of people try to make it this giant competition. and This and that. Fuck all that, dude. It's not about that. It's about this moment. To me, it's about this moment right here. We share some beers together. We're hanging out. We're talking. We're getting to know each other. Like, to me, that's what music's always been about. It's Mm -hmm. always been about bringing people together. Like, I think about every person I know in my world it's all for music. Every single person that I talk to, and I talk to thousands of people, it's all for music. Yeah. It's un- unbelievable. <laughs> I always thought to myself, dude, that was, always a one- that was always something I thought of. If I ever got married, how weird would it be if I invited all my friends from all these different areas? I always wondered which one of my friends would migrate to each other. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I, my friend's from San Francisco. We've done some crazy shit, ate some crazy pills, did some crazy barbecuing, week-on binges my friends in Portland, my friends in Vancouver, my friends in France, if I got them all in one room, which one of these crazy oh, motherfuckers yeah. would get together or yeah. would it just one giant ass crazy <laughs> ass party? Because crazies tend to migrate to each other. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel, like, I feel like the same people I know in San Francisco are the exact same kind of fucking people I know in yeah. Dallas. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: No, I feel the same way about, uh, <laughs> like my girlfriend wants to, when we get married, She wants, she's like, oh, let's do it on a beach. I'm like, we need to throw a party because you know how how many people are going to come to watch us get married. Can you imagine? That'll be the yeah. greatest party we've ever been to. Yeah, like all your homies. Yeah, everyone like from all over the fucking yeah. place would come. Like it would be the greatest party ever. Yeah, I thought
1: about that and I'm like, man, I just I, I always wondered who who would be who would be the ones that I already have in my head who would be dipping out to the bathroom to do blow who would be out in the parking lot <laughs> smoking a blunt. I already know who would tee up. I already have an idea in my head because I know these motherfuckers. But it makes you wonder, you know? Yeah, completely. Who's gonna be who's gonna hang out with who, and who's gonna love each other? You know?
0: Totally. (laughs) Because anytime
1: they come around, it seems like 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 my boy Rocky uh, in San Francisco. I met this kid when I was playing my first show in San Francisco. Like somehow, he got me to keep my plane ticket to stay longer, and he showed me San Francisco outside from the party scene. And I was playing. I threw a party here at Ophelia's with Mark Frito that we just did recently, Mm -hmm. and. He's in my front row. Like, what the fuck are you doing here? This guy's from fucking San Francisco, right? He's like, dude, I'm in town for SIA. And I heard Mark Farina, and I was like, I wonder if that's the same Paul Anthony. He's like, oh shit, it is you! I fucking love you, dude. Like, I can't believe you're here. <laughs> and it was funny because then we hung out, and all my friends here love him. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, because he's he's not a DJ. He's just a cool ass dude. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it was just cool because I feel like anytime I bring any of my out of state friends here that are just my homies from the party scene, they all get along, man. You know? So, yeah. Some are younger, some are older, but they all have common interests. You know, we all listen to music, and it's all brought us together.
0: So. Absolutely. So, do you have any uh, highlights from any of the Weejacks so far? Any that stick out that were extra uh, special, or favorite venue that it goes on? Or you know, honestly, my the last one that I did with Uriah West was cool
1: because it was the first time I ever had someone that I would consider a headliner just pop into my party from out of town, jumped the plane, came over here and played just mm-hmm. to play because he heard it was Uriah's birthday party, heard the party was cool, and. Wally Clario just jumped the plane and came Holy here and shit. played. And he showed up and played. Like, how cool is that? It's and to dope. me, I mean, I've had Paul Johnson do that. She like, comes, hey man, is there any room in the time? So I'm like, yeah, I'll cut this fucking dude off. Of course up. there is. I'm yeah. like, yo, Paul, last record. <laughs> Paul Johnson's going on my man. Sorry, bro. Doesn't even matter, bro. You know, like, so so for Wee Jack, to me, that was kind of a highlight. And One of my other favorite ones was the summertime. Even though the sound system was complete shit, I had Hyperactive and Frankie Bones back-to-back. And that was cool. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like Frankie Buzz and Hyperactive are the epitome of what techno was in Chicago in the beginning of the techno scene. So to have those two guys back-to-back for me in Denver, it definitely didn't have the vibe it would have had if I did that in Chicago. It was fucking crushed in Chicago. Like, dude, the one thing that I miss about Chicago, and I'm not dissing on Denver because I like it here, but, like, when I play, like computer madness by Steve Poindexter people will clap out the rhythm on the dance floor because they know the record yeah here I play it and they've never heard it before but I'll play it in San Francisco that's got a house history and they clap the patterns too it's crazy to me like knowing that people know a track with no words but they know the clap patterns yeah they stop their feet to the patterns you don't see that here
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know and I just even in Iowa like Iowa's got history man you guys are right by Chicago like I mean, I've been playing there since I started playing out, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And tons of people I know were playing out there, you know. My first Iowa gig was uh, Quad Cities. I played uh, for the 420 kids. I remember it was me and DJ Alert. That guy was from Iowa. He was a killer DJ, too. I don't know what he's doing nowadays, Mm -hmm. but at the time, he was the shit. That kid was the bomb. I was like, man, I I can fuck with you. You're actually good for not being from Chicago. (laughs) I was impressed. Yeah,
0: he, he was a major player in, in the in the scene back in the day. But then
1: another guy that blew up out of the Iowa scene that I didn't even realize I, when I played Five One Five Alive, which I played I think the second one that happened. The five is it what it's called? Five one five, five, five alive, yep. yeah. I played that and I remember I played after Sid from Slipknot and I was like,
0: Oh Star- you're DJ you're,
1: Starscream. I'm dude. like, you're fucking Sid oh dude, you slept <laughs> on your couch. Like he was an old drum and bass DJ from back in the day. I didn't realize <laughs> it was Starscream. the same dude. Yeah. <laughs> And me and that dude still talk every couple of days. Like, that's one of my best friends, dude. Like, it blows me away that that guy, like, got so big.
0: Yeah. You
1: know? it's pretty like, wild. I remember at one point, the band was going to fold, and he was like, dude, I need to start touring. Let's do a tour together. I was like, holy shit. But i mean, oh, that's just my boy. Why am I tripping? Why am I holy shitting? Oh, because he's got fucking more platinum on his wall than anyone I know. Yeah. The, the, the dude has more platinum than a jewelry store. Like, he's got quadruple platinum albums he's got a mm-hmm. Grammy he's he's like a 15 time nominated one time Grammy winner yeah that's fucking incredible they were
0: broken up for quite a few years here but they they've, they're have they reuniting and doing a tour this year and they're I know they're doing Red Rocks and they're playing yeah. they they're did playing, it for
1: the last couple of years
0: they're playing I mean it's like I guess it's like all the members that are still alive because somebody yeah, like like one Paul, of them, Paul Gray does yeah yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, they were still touring though but they haven't played in Iowa in like six years yeah. or something so it's it's like a huge show that's going down in Iowa yeah that's
1: crazy dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they they're have a cult following it's cool what I love about Sid is he likes trap hip hop house music I have him on, on one of my Paul Anthony tracks it was called Kangaroo Butt Sex <laughs> 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 he <laughed> about it <laughs> boing, boing. yeah it was cool we, we did a couple of tracks mm-hmm. together we did a couple of trap tracks together and it was cool man Sid Sid's a good dude man Mm-hmm. Very talented DJ. We 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 scratch. we like both of us scratch. So because of that we get along. So yeah, it's yeah. kind of a weird scenario. But that was another guy from Iowa that I was really tight with. And I don't know if you know the name Richie Heller, if that even brings up a name memory to you. I'm not sure. He was a he was one of probably one of the best producers out of your guys' city for oh, really? music. Yeah, he was he was uh, he had a couple big disco house records that was played by all the big dudes in France. Oh, wow. Yeah, and Richie's a good friend of mine. He's still on Facebook. I think he lives in California, in L.A. now. But, but yeah, he definitely was from Iowa. Played for him at games. Me and DJ Funk and Frankie Vega played for him at games Damn, that's a lineup
0: right there. Jesus. Yeah, we had
1: some <laughs> good times, man, in, in, in Iowa City. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember one time we were in Iowa City, dude. The, whoever the promoter is, I don't even know who you are if you're out there listening to this. But I feel bad because, I don't know, somehow you pissed off my boy that we were with. And my boy just ordered a ridiculous amount of room service on this dude's car. (laughs) I'll never forget. It was like we just got back from games. I'm fucking passed out. I was here. I'm like, who is it? Who's there? And all of a sudden, this fucking dude, like, has this tray rolled in. I'm like, what is that? Did you order room service again? He's like, yeah, dude, I was thirsty. And they pull up the tray. It's a pitcher of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> he goes, yeah, they charged me per glass that went into that pitcher because they don't have cans and stuff. And I wanted a whole pitcher. So that's probably like a $40 pitcher. <laughs> $40 pitcher of Dr. Pepper. I know whatever it's on his fucking card. Who cares? I remember we ordered food to go. We took food with the T.O. containers
0: from Can room You bring service. those room service up to go.
1: Yeah, it's like, don't ever piss my friends off, man. You're going to get your fucking card tax. <laughs> that's fucking funny. <laughs> we did some crazy shit. Nigel Richards taught me that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nigel, <Nice little, laughs> I busted you out, buddy, from Austin, Texas. He fucking ran one up on the promoter. We were walking out of the hotel room. There's just a line of trays
0: of food that was in his
1: room. He had a whole hotel party.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> Milking crazy. it. Hell, yeah. When you started Wee Jack, did you... Just think of it as an event series, or were you planning on making it a record label? It was just
1: the name of a party at first. Mm-hmm. I just named the party that it wasn't even yeah. going to be a series. It was like I'm going to call this party Wee Jack. It's a cool name. I'm like, and I was rolling my eyes because I own like five record labels. I'm like, oh, dude, I want to fucking start another record label, but the name is so good. Mm-hmm. It's just so like it, it should. I'm mean, like, fuck, it should be a t-shirt. And that's where the deeper came from Terry. Terry's like, I think Wee Jack Deeper would sell better than just Wee Jack. And he was (laughs) right. I sold the shit out. I sold like 300 shirts. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, It was never supposed to. In essence, I wanted it to be. I always, when I think of names of things, the first thing I put together is a marketing plan. Like Ghetto Blaster. Everyone knows what a Ghetto Blaster is. I just spell it a little differently. And like you, it's it's such an ingenious promotion because you feel like you know it even if you don't. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's your group name? Oh, Ghetto Blaster. Oh, dude, I fucking love Ghetto Blaster. I'm like, really? I don't even have any records out yet. Calm down. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> just talking shit, you know? So, like, same thing when we did the Funk Monkeys. We just catched a cool name. It was awesome. There was no Funk Monkeys out there. So, we're like, all right, that's awesome. It's a great name. I just mm-hmm. try to grab things that it, like, make sense, you know? And I run a label called Dirty Fabric. I have one called Trap and Juke. I got one called Chicken Fried. I got a whole bunch of labels. Like, I, I do it. And I, and I help people. My buddy Andy from UK runs. Total label management, I help him find labels to do distribution for too. So like I brought mm-hmm. him Robert Armani owns Tracksman Records, all his hit records were on that label. So it was a sub label of Dance Mania from back in the day. So since he owned it, I was like, Hey, let's fucking make it reality and mp3s people want that shit digitally Mm -hmm. he's like all right cool so we remastered all those we start putting we're still putting them out now and i still help him run that too so i'm like 50 percent owner of that label too and so we push i push a lot of music and i and i've helped out like i I help manage a handful of labels which i'll keep nameless but but basically i'll take five percent of all their income and help them get the distribution get hooked up get all this and all that you know so Definitely, I, I do a lot of back-end stuff that nobody knows. It's just, like, my bread and butter and how I do things and how I make money aside from... Like, we're getting ready to start a booking agency, too. Like, I'm handling 20 people. I have two people working 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, doing the bookings for a oh, bunch wow. of people. So, and that's going to be called Dirty Fabric. It's this tattoo right here. It's oh, nice. Uh, it used to be a record label also, so... But it's kind of one of those things where we wanna, we kind of want to keep a family of people. Like, I, I want to offer someone a package. Like, here, I offer you to play my parties. If you make records that I'm interested in, then I'm, hey, I'm going to fucking put your records out. Hey, I'll manage you. I'll book you. I'll, the people mm-hmm. who ask to book me are looking for other people just like me. So it's a, a circle of people, you know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. And the Wee Jack is going to spread. Like, we're doing one in San Francisco with my boy... Carlos and possibly Edgar and my boy uh, Paul down in Dallas. We're doing a wee jack there, and like we're trying to create this circuit for my friends who are good producers and good DJs, but have no idea how to get out of their state. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing a lot of locals have. Like, how do I get out of my fucking state? Yeah. Well, we're gonna start a circuit. Like, I throw parties here. That dude throws parties there. I got. It. We're all gonna play these circuits. Like, I already play these circuits, but now mm-hmm. I'm gonna get them around. You know what I mean? So it creates opportunity. Like. My roommate Todd, like, you know, he works a full-time job. He's a good DJ. He's starting to produce, making great music. But, like, does he have time to figure out how to get out of town? No, but we throw Wee Jack parties in different cities. He can meet people in different cities by playing our party. You know what I mean? People just
0: hear you. You just got to have the right ears hear you. Yeah.
1: Fucking, I like that. Like, if you end up in Detroit and you come to our Wee Jack party, like, I'm going to introduce you to everyone who runs Detroit because I know everybody. They're all going to be at my party. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, eating bacon and eggs that's okay. right <laughs> it. So it's like I just want to try to help I, I was thinking about doing a seminar here in Denver too where I talk once a month and I just get up on a fucking stage and teach people about the industry questions mm-hmm. you would never know the answers to like how do I do the demo how do I do this how do I do that like there's answers to all of it and I've done it wrong a thousand times and mm-hmm. I've done it right a thousand times so I, I feel like I can help a lot of people out that don't know their ass from a hole the ground in this business because it's definitely tricky you'll spend a year doing mm-hmm. the wrong thing I've done it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And what's cool about that, man, is you're demonstrating that it doesn't have to be a fucking dog-eat-dog fucking yeah. competition. Like, I feel like we more, all love the more, same music. Like, Hubert mm-hmm. put it the best to me ever. Like,
1: I, he, he definitely is one of my inspirations on, like, how he treats his career. He's very into teaching a lot of people about the business and how to scratch. He puts out tutorial videos. Like, the other guy trying to win the DMC, he's like, fuck that, dude. I don't want anyone to know how I do that. Mm-hmm. No, not, I can't win if you know my secrets exactly but to him the challenge he said is and I, I live by this it's not about being the best in the world it's about seeing how many best you can create in this world that's incredible dude that's what's so, going to
0: push you further if you're the best like, it's it's so no fucking one steps powerful. up yeah. that, guy,
1: that guy's won the DMC five years in a row He'll, no one could beat him he's the best he's banned from the competition so he's like well how many people can I teach to be the best <laughs> that's a fucking challenge exactly yeah. and it is and I, I live by that you know because I feel like I'm at a level now where like people that don't know much about me will like oh whatever I'm better than him or they don't even get it they, they don't know enough about me because I don't even I don't even have a website up like I, it's, things I'm working on for my tour is actually being marketable because I've never been about egotistical stuff mm-hmm. so I never have a functional website if you want to know about me you'll know about me the heads know about me yeah. you know what I mean like <laughs> if you want to know you'll know but Right now, I'm getting ready to actually put it public for the first time. Like, I'm going to go public with my website and show pictures of me playing in front of twenty to 40,000 people week in and week out. Like, I don't think anyone that we even hang out with really gets that I do that. I think half of our friends, they they may think about it once in a while, see a picture Mm -hmm. here and there, but it doesn't set in with them. You know what I mean? Because they weren't there. So, it's like, it's one of those things where I... To me, I don't feel like, I, I, I don't think anyone's a threat to me. What I do is what I do. You can't threaten me no matter how good you are. I do what I do. Mm-hmm. And you do what you do. I can't threaten you either. But people think it's a competition, and it's yeah. not. It really isn't. And the, the, the faster you realize it's not a compet- competition, the more I can help you. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to give my friend advice on how to do vocals. I know what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. It's like, all right, cool. You have zero records on B-Port. You don't know what you're doing. You're not selling records. Mm-hmm you're not giving away I'll get your soundcloud you got 40 plays on your soundcloud I have 27,000 on some bullshit that I didn't even sell like let me help you learn but it's like no no I know what I'm doing okay cool well let me know when you're ready to learn because I want to teach you I mm-hmm. want you to be successful I think you're really talented that's how I feel about a lot of shit you know Yeah. So it's yeah, like yeah. a lot of people they get that ego twist and it's not about yeah. having an ego it's just about trying to get it out there this is music mm-hmm. we're making it to share with people not act like we're the best and fuck everyone else yeah, it's not about yeah. that
0: it's, it's similar to the philosophy of the the party I've started doing in the mountains now, the second annual, Together. Fuck. It's literally about... There there are no headliners. Everyone is the headliner. The people yeah. playing, the people attending. Because it's it's donations. It's everybody bring what you can to contribute. Because we if we all work together, we yeah. can throw a fucking badass party and nobody has to pay for anything. Yeah, And that's really what it is. And that's why time and time again i've heard from multiple people that are, and people that didn't even go they're like i heard that was the party of the summer and it's yeah. like it's because there was it wasn't about money or who's the best or this headliner mm-hmm. it was about all of us having a good time and our passion just like let's all come together and fucking rock out for a weekend because we all do Heck it yeah, yeah so it's incredible I Totally know it's a great
1: concept yet. you know I've been actually I have I have a line on some property in Wisconsin that I want to do an event at too I haven't decided when or eventually I'm going to do it mm-hmm. I want it to be a completely free festival I don't want to charge anyone for anything but I also want it to be where it's like you have to have a ticket but you have to get the ticket from someone who wants to give it to you you can't, yeah. you can't buy it fuck your money I don't want your money Mm-hmm. You buy a bottle of water if you want to support because I'll sell water at my party, but you don't have to pay to come. You're invited. Yeah. You have a ticket. I'm, I'm going to do that and it's going to be huge. That's I a just, great I idea. I don't know man. when I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it eventually, though, because I figured at the worst case scenario, if I might up with 100,000 people one day. If I sell 100,000 waters, I paid for the party. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I don't really care about getting rich off this. I don't do this for that.
0: Yeah, completely, man.
1: If I did, I'd have a booking agent. I'd have a website. I have a lot of things already, which I'm just now starting to do at forty. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, I this about is forty. <laughs> yeah. So crazy though. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, Yeah. Well, so I guess yeah. One more, a little more thing I wanted to tap into was well, what was the transition like moving from Chicago to Denver? I mean, being being in a city for thirty two years, and then um, now you're in a whole new place. That was. Did it feel like? Hitting reset or like, I moved. Okay. Here, I moved here in December, mm-hmm. uh, June twenty first that
1: next year. I had a stroke and almost died. Oh my god, man! It's crazy. So, uh, Fuck. I was really unhealthy. I was probably four hundred and twenty five pounds. I smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. I've never like,
0: even seen you smoke a cigarette. I
1: don't. I don't know. Yeah. I <laughs> just, June twenty first two thousand ten was my last cigarette after fifteen years of smoking. I, uh, your blood pressure is supposed to be 120 over 80. I was 257 over 150. Oh I told this to a nurse that I met the other day. She's like, oh, my God. People have died with less blood pressure. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thanks. I heard that. I've heard that that day. I asked them, I go, am I walked in here? Can I smoke another cigarette? they go, like, you should never smoke again. <laughs> but, yeah, no, so, yeah, moving here, the transition, it saved my life. Because the symptoms I got because of the altitude – Created me to realize the sensor was going off, and then I needed to go get checked out. And I went to wow. the hospital. I was at, I was playing a beta. I met Brooke that night. <laughs> I'll never forget it. And I, I had a stroke while I was playing a mini stroke, and I was still having one when I was. You were the playing at beta, and you had it. Oh my god! I remember yelling at the light guy, I'm like turn the fucking lights up. I can't read my CDs. He's like, dude, if I turn it any louder, they're gonna think the party's over. So, oh wow! I was going blind. You oh get blind spots god. when you're stroking out. So, uh, I went to the hospital, man, and I was there for a week, and they told me, they were like, yeah, we've given you 18 combinations of pills to bring your blood pressure down, and it's still not happening. They go, there's a chance you might stroke out and may not live. So, I told myself, if I get a chance to do that, I'm going to change everything, and now I'm 177 pounds lighter. It's fucking awesome, man. Yep. That's yeah, what's crazy, because I had a lot of life-changing experiences in the city. You know, lot, lot,
0: tons of in life-changing. In a short amount of time. I mean, you've been here, what? Six years. Six years. Yeah,
1: six years. In six years, I've lost my dad, the love of my life, and I almost died. God. It's fucking crazy. Not too many people can say that. No, no. I feel like I'm stuck here. Like, I'm here <laughs> for a fucking reason. It saved my life to be here. My girl brought the me air, there. did man?
0: Yeah, and your girl right
1: here. Yeah, dude, it's fucking incredible. Like I had such a bad headache that night. I thought someone. I thought my head was bleeding. I was like, touching. It. I'm like, am I bleeding? I like, know that's how bad my head hurt. So I found out I had liver damage, kidney damage, heart damage, and brain damage. It's fucking crazy. Over what living in Chicago and fucking literally traveling so much that I didn't give a fuck about what I looked like. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about, like, looks to me. Like, I've always kind of been, like, a taller dude
2: yeah.
1: as far as getting bigger. It's like, I'm a famous DJ. Like, and beating that never, brought down, that never brought <laughs> down your pussy game No, from no, the stories no. i heard. fuck, yeah, fuck no. Anything <laughs> <that> got upped. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, as far as that goes, it's like, you know, it's like, I never had a reason to lose weight, you know, I'm making all this money. Why not eat at the fucking best restaurants in the world? Who fucking cares? You live once, you know? Mm-hmm. But you don't realize you're dying. And, I, and I, I look back. I started a food blog. They, t- they teach you when you're losing weight, you got to write down every fucking thing you put in your body for six months and figure out what you're doing wrong. Dude, you know what my diet was on a normal daily basis? What? Dude, I'm not even fucking joking. I started every morning out with two purple amp energy drinks and two king-size Snickers bar and a pack of cigarettes before 11 o'clock. That was my morning ritual. God. And I would drink a case of uh, Pepsi Because I like Pepsi from Chicago for some reason, which it sucks. I hate pop all together. I could do diet sodas here and there. But I remember I was drinking a case of soda every two days. At least six energy drinks a day and smoking three packs a day. Unbelievable. That's nuts, man. Yeah, dude. My fucking diet was all out of whack. But that's the one thing I've learned here is like how to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Five days a week, I run four miles.
0: It's fucking
1: awesome. Uh, None of my friends that are healthy do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I had had a choice, a choice of living or dying. I'm still on, I'm still on fucking three blood pressure medications, still Mm -hmm. to this day, destroying my kidneys, still to this day. So it's like when it came to, when I came out of the hospital, dude, I was taking nine pills, like nine pills every day just to live. It's fucking incredible. That's that's bad on your liver and your kidneys, dude. And Mm To me, the goal is like I'm, I'm 26 pounds away from getting to my goal weight, which is what I was in high school. <laughs> so uh, when I hit that, I'll actually get backed off all my meds, my doctor. So, so. That's awesome, man. It's not far away. It's taken five years to get here. And I was on the path. I was pretty close the first year. First six months, I lost 100 pounds. Smashed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I broke my wrist. Because I was all skinny again. I was like, oh, i go skateboarding. I dropped in the 12-foot bowl behind Beta over there. <laughs> Phone rang. Threw me all off. I fucked, oh, no, <laughs> fucking three 300 pounds on my wrist. I Probably was getting like,
0: booked somewhere. Dude.
1: <laughs> fuck, man. I crushed it in 27 places. I still can't even bend my wrist any further oh, than man. that. It's crazy. There's no bone in there. Oh, Jesus. I got three plates, 15 pins, and 15 screws. <laughs> Crazy man, but yeah. So it was it was an interesting scenario moving here, man. I've been through a lot here, and uh very thankful to uh, be alive. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm in this beautiful fucking condo now, and I centrally located. I mean, I see the train going by, so I get my taste of being in Chicago. Yeah, again. yeah, dude. I look, I've I mean, noticed my, that all uh, night. Producing, my producing's right here, and my city's right there. Yeah. That's my inspiration. Buildings beautiful and, the, tra- view, and dude. the train going by. Is fucking breathtaking. And then when I want a little bit of that, that, uh, the gay mountain shit, (laughs) I go to my back porch so I can see the mountains. exactly. So it's kind of cool, man. Like I got the best of both worlds in the spot and like, see right now, you're going to see the train coming past. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes me feel like I'm in Chicago because
0: that's like what the L would be doing. You know what I mean? Completely. Yeah. It's not something you see in Denver unless you have a spot like this. Very
1: blessed to be in this spot for the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how long it's going to last, but I'm here now. So I'm excited about it. And, because I feel inspired, man. I mean, Ghetto Blaster has been together for a year and six months. And on Beatport now, I have 87 singles out. Good Lord. And I've hit, my last album hit number seven in the album sales charts. Like, in overall, like on all the albums that came out that week, I went all the way up to number seven and I stayed there for 12 weeks. Wow. So no single really broke through heavy. The album sold really well, though. So. Mm-hmm. that album's incredible. I got DJ Sluggo on there. I have DJ Dion on there. I got Bad Boy Bill on there. Mm -hmm. I have Steve Silk Hurley. I got Robert Armani. Like, it's a blessing to, like, know all those guys, man. All those guys are just... They're they're legends. Yeah. They all are legends. And somehow I... Doctor them I doctored them up on an album it's like like Terry told me he's like man he's like your album dude he's like if you can't fucking tour off that album sell vacuum cleaners bro (laughs) (laughs) he's like you have like he's like you have like (laughs) ten legends on your album he's like that's a dream come true in any house producer's world like anyone who's from Chicago know those names you know Mm Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, the cool thing about all those guys individually is they're all my friends. Every single Sluggo is the fucking man. That dude, uh, that's dude who did the I'm a ho, she's a ho. That, that dude is just, he's been through some shit and he's just on. he's just, the, he's the fucking man. He helped put the soundtrack together for Spike Lee's fucking Chirac. You know what I mean? And, like, Steve Hurley was, like, the producer of Oprah Winfrey's talk show, the music behind it, for years. And he produced one of the tracks for Michael Jackson and the guy's just done so much shit you know Robert Armani was number one techno DJ in the world in 92 and was like built above Jeff Mills and <laughs> you know like it's just a crazy story of some of these guys you know Dion he, he's been huge forever but never been able to tour now he's all over Europe and that's yeah. my brother man like I talk to that that's dude every wild. day all these years still doing it too. Yeah, that's crazy, awesome. man. 30 years he's still relevant. It's fucking amazing. You're good experience. for him, man. I, I wish like I was remember I was talking to Steve Hurley and he was telling me he's like, "Man, he's like, you're such a good producer." I'm like, "Fuck that. You're a good producer." We were arguing back and forth who's a good producer i'm like matt he's like you gotta show me how you do this i'm like you gotta show me how to do what you do he's like what is it that i do that you want to know i go dude you have a record that's been relevant for 25 years please teach me that's way cooler than anything that i could fucking do in this program that i'm working on dude you make records that are relevant for three decades yeah like i i want to be you <laughs> like totally. that's incredible man
0: all right so yeah we're coming here on the uh last stretch of the podcast so uh uh, we're here at the the best and worst section. So, what's the best and worst yeah, starting out, what's the best and worst uh set or concert or musical performance you ever saw? Uh it, worst could be most disappointing, but I mean, I know you saw seen,
1: or did, which one? Saw. <laughs> saw. Like
0: the experience. Um, I mean, I know there's been probably tens of thousands. No, there there <laughs> there, there, are, there are
1: five top 10s. There there's a handful that were my one of my favorites ever 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 this is, I tell the story anyone who knows me knows the story for the most part if I've ever talked music with you for longer than an hour Detroit Electronic Music Festival second year main stage it was free everyone from homeless people to rich people in the crowd kids old people young people middle aged people DJs fucking band members doesn't matter everyone was there Germany Germany L.A., New York. I met people from all over the place. John Coltrane was playing. It's pouring rain, dude. It's fucking like, there. Is, for some reason, the main stage was just flooding, dude. It was like people were in their knees to water, <laughs> still fucking dancing, getting down. And it was right when that song uh, was remade by Funk Duelist Star or whatever, uh, remade the the Bob Marley, "The Sun Is Shining." Oh yeah and dude, like I told John this when I signed a record to his label I was like man I gotta tell you, go, I'll never ever ever forget seeing you play Detroit Electronic Music Festival main stage the second year I go it was fucking pouring rain and it was not a fucking opening in the sky at all it was all clouds you drop the sun is shining and, and he, you're a very serious DJ and like It stopped raining when it said the sun is shining. The clouds parted, the sun came through. He lifted his head up and he pointed up and smiled. I've never, dude, goosebumps, to this day, I've never heard a crowd cheer louder than that. That fucking crowd blew the fuck up. It echoed through Detroit. Detroit's a ghost town. Dude, it echoed for miles. You could hear that cheer. It just never went away. It was the biggest cheer I ever heard in my entire life. So that was like the most incredible thing I ever seen in my entire life. It was mm-hmm. like he was in tune with everything. Yeah, it was yeah, fucking cool, dude. Nothing better than that. That was mm-hmm. that was the best. That was the best That's thing crazy. I have ever seen in my life.
0: I, I've honestly seen something similar to that. Uh, I was. It was years ago. Uh, it was when Bush was up for re-election, and they had the Republican National uh, Conference up in Minneapolis yes. and or in St. Paul. And there, on the lawn of the Capitol, there was this uh, protest concert, a free concert that was yeah. going on, and, like, a bunch of bands played, uh, like, Anti-Flag, Modest Yahoo, uh, Wookie Foot, all this, but uh, also Michael Franti, he's kind of this <clears throat> acoustic, very peace-love kind of lyrics and stuff like that, but yeah. he was, like, it was raining, like, it was, like, drizzling all fucking day, cloudy. And then he played this song, and I can't remember what the song, because I haven't listened to this shit in so long, but yeah. there's this lyric where he, he says, sun shining, and he strummed, and, like, during the song, the clouds parted, and literally oh, the sun wow. shone he just went, sun shining, and everyone's like, what? What the fuck just And happened? the rest of his set, it was sun shining, and then as soon as he got done, it went yeah, back wow. and drizzled again. Like, Yeah, it, it, it's fucking, that? it happens,
1: man, somehow. Yeah. Like, it's a one in a... Billion chance.
0: Incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Incredible. <laughs> That's awesome, I, I'll man. never forget that. And then, so yeah, what's, what was one of the worst or uh, most disappointing that you were so psyched to see?
1: Oh, man. Most disappointing. That's tough. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. I don't know, man. I, I, I've never, I, I don't really go to things that I don't want to see, and I, I'm not going to say that. It's hard to, like, talk about some of these people, too, because yeah, they're yeah, my friends. Yeah, right? yeah. I can't. I can't. <laughs> like, I guess I can, whatever. But at the end of the day, I don't know. Like, I just...
0: Everybody has a bad set. It might have been like, that night,
1: you know? It was a party that I played. I remember Armand Van That's one of my friends, and you could just tell his set was cut short because the party was getting shut down early, and... He probably got like forty thousand dollars to play at that party, and it just wasn't. He just wasn't happy. You could tell he didn't want to be there, mm-hmm. and no one None of the people that were working was like, Oh dude, we're gonna hear him for forty minutes." Yeah, forty. He's getting a thousand dollars a minute. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure he was bummed. He was he was scheduled to play a two hour set, so uh, he used just tell you, just he played a couple of his hits, and that was it. Yeah, was yeah. Correct. So I'm not gonna say I was disappointed. I was more disappointed in the promoter for not being able to make it work mm-hmm. to go a little longer you know what I mean yeah. you're making that kind of money sold out show 17,000 people come on dude make it go a little longer exactly you know what I mean, I watched Diplo do it here Diplo came here his boy got arrested from Red Rocks to the after party at the Gothic Theater Diplo bought out the bar and said I'll pay you guys to stay open another two hours Pull the liquor whatever it costs I'll pay it and they went wow. until four in the morning wow I seen him do that He's like, he goes, like, I'm not going to shave you one minute of my two hours. I'm supposed to play. Mm-hmm. The crowd went nuts. There was no liquor. No one cared. <laughs> yeah, you know. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that that's it. For as far as like disappointments. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I've never really been uberly disappointed by anybody. Really, mm-hmm. I mean, like even the people who are like, I, I've seen DJs like, dude, DJ Sneaks, my boy, that's my homie, dude. Like, I've seen him and listen to the mix afterwards where it was just off a little bit on a couple of the blends but his track selection was fucking impeccable and the crowd went nuts it didn't matter his programming mm-hmm. was on point mm-hmm. same thing with Thomas Ben from Daft Punk his friend also he, I watched him pick up the wrong needle off the wrong record in front of 10,000 people he's like oh sorry about that and <laughs> smiled and everyone laughed you know so it's like you know, was it the best set in the whole world? Yeah, it was. It was incredible because it was Thomas Bengalter and he was just playing his favorite tracks, not even what he produced. Mm-hmm. And yeah, That's you know, a he wasn't all that great at it, but it was cool to see that, you mm-hmm. know, like you don't get to see him play every day. So yeah, yeah. he's just having fun. He doesn't need to play,
0: <laughs> you know, for sure. All right. So yeah, what was one of the best and worst sets you've ever played? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. Uh, I mean, it, would the stroke take? No, I didn't know I was having one. I was still blending. Yeah, I'm still killing that shit. Stroke of genius is what you should call that mix. Yeah. Uh,
1: the worst experience ever. And I still hear about it. This was in 2000. Dude, I still hear about it to this day. There's, oh, at least every six months, someone I meet brings it up. I was playing a party in Rockford, Illinois. It was called Bugged Out 2. It was me, Richard Vision. The Jungle Brothers, DJ Rap, Skylab 2000, huge show. It was Whoa. funk, like Derek Carter, whole bunch of motherfuckers mm-hmm. on this party. And somehow I got the 12 to 1 spot on the main stage before Skylab 2000 did his live PA. he's big moonshine guy at the time. And I'll just never forget, I was playing in Iowa the night before, and I was with my boys. We were in the Quad Cities, and I played at a pawn shop. <laughs> <laughs> about 200 people but there was a school desk it was like sturdy like this table and i got up on the table and i scratched with my foot and fucking the crowd blew up like my boy's got a video of it somewhere i need to get it from him but uh yeah it was it was crazy and my boy comes up to me that was with me he says you won't do that shit you did last night i was like what here in front of 3,000 people you think cuz there's so many people i want to fuck that i'll do it so i went to get up on this fucking speaker stand and this table, little did I know that there was wheels on these things
3: because oh they're my moving gosh.
1: shit around for the stages. You know, <laughs> they had no clue. So I got up on this case, and when I went to go lunge forward onto the table to get up on it to scratch, they both moved <laughs> <laughs> the fucking turntables. We were on turntable the time. Fell off. were are dangling by cords. Oh you my god! Bzzz, <laughs> this giant huge system. I fall on my knee. You can still see it's still swollen, dude. I completely dislocated it. I was like, ah!
3: Oh. Holy
1: shit. It was crazy. There was this thing called After Hours TV on public access in Chicago. So I'm like live on TV. <laughs> <laughs> just to top it off, right? I'm oh like, get God. the fucking camera out of my face. And I had grabbed my knee, and I just jammed it together. Somehow I popped it back perfectly. It was wow. the most painful shit ever. When I got home, I had to cut my jeans off. It was so swollen. <sighs> I had to go to the hospital, and get all drained, but yeah, dude, that was like the worst experience ever. And to this day, I'll have motherfuckers will come up to me like, "Oh, Ruda, one time you broke your leg, yeah, bro. Shouldn't fucking scratch with your feet, bro. It's not meant to do that." Like, you know, I always, always got to hear about that, man. That's I mean, it doesn't right. help that it wasn't. It doesn't help that it was on TV. That's hilarious, you know. So, but as far as best experiences, man, I don't know, man. It's a tough one because I've played a lot of amazing shows, like surprising best ones, like, and this is a long time ago, I remember the first time they decided to have DJs at Summerfest in Milwaukee. I headlined the main stage one night. 15,000 people in front of me. I was just like, wow. <laughs> I, ex- I did not expect it to be awesome, you know what I mean? Because you have, like, Guns and Roses on one stage, and Summerfest is all bands, you know? I didn't think anything of it, and people were ready for some dance music. So, mm-hmm. that was killer. I mean... My first time in Japan was crazy. Just because the, the culture shock to begin with is incredible. Yeah. But walking in the womb in Tokyo, like, it's just like, it's very overwhelming when you see that club and you go in there and you play it. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. same thing with Osaka. This club was incredible. But, I mean, I don't know, man. It's just really hard to say what was the best, you know? Like, seen some incredible shit. You know what I mean? Like, when you go to your first time, you're headlining, you're the only headliner at a club and you walk in and there's a line out the fucking door it blows your mind mm-hmm. because you're just like this guy that came from this small little town making tapes yeah <laughs> you know what I mean that's how I look at it I look at it like that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kid that was grew up half his life in Indiana I put out a couple mixtapes yeah <laughs> you that's know amazing, like, I remember like my old roommate I think you probably met him before this guy named Paul um, he's yeah. a co- comedian friend of mine dude like he was the promoter at a club in Champaign Illinois it was one of my favorite experiences i just remember i had 102 temperature and i was not going out that night and i was like fuck man i don't want to go out i called the dude i'm like yo man i don't think i'm gonna make it and he's like, dude you gotta come dude like i paid you already i'm like dude we'll do a makeup date i just i really feel like shit i go give me like 30 minutes i called my best friend and i was like yo man i don't think i'm gonna go to that gig in champaign illinois it's you know college town." he's like you gotta go to champaign it's gonna be fucking incredible dude you gotta go to that gig because I'll drive. Get drive to my house, and from here I'll drive. You can sleep the whole way. I'm like, all right, cool. So I get to my boy's house. I told you, I'm like, yo, I'm coming. Awesome. I get to my boy's house. He's like, I was kidding. I don't have a fucking driver's license. You got to drive. Oh. What a fucking dick. He's like, I just wanted to go with. I want you. You're not going to pass up champagne. It's a dope city. I'm like, oh wow. All right. dick. So for two hours, I'm fucking miserable. At the time, we had tape decks. My tape deck was eating tape, so I had to listen to the fucking radio the whole oh way through these farm towns of Illinois, right? <laughs> so we're approaching Champaign, Illinois, and it says, Tonight at Club Orchid, all the way from Chicago, Paul Anthony's like, Whoa, they got radio ads. That's dope. I was like, dude, that's awesome. You know? it, yeah. So I was I like, all right, cool. Yeah, so we got to the hotel, checked in, dude took us to dinner. He's like, come back to my house. These girls want to pre-party before we get to the club. I get to the house. There's 20 chicks that are taking pictures, getting autographs. I'm like, this is gonna be fun.
0: <laughs> this is
1: gonna be a good night. This is gonna be awesome. All the way
0: from Chicago. Yeah.
1: So then, like, I had played Necto in Ann Arbor. I played a bunch of college towns at the time, and it's like, you know, you go to the college town at that time. We're talking '98. You can look around and see like the line around the buildings at the hip hop club. It's not at the house club. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter how big the rave culture was, it was still not the big thing. Yeah. I remember pulling up, and I'm like, dude, I wish I was playing that club. And my boy's like. You are. And I'm like, oh, shit. There's a lot <laughs> wrapped around the building. It was completely sold out. Sold oh, out. Wow. So, and, uh, and, man, I just remember when I walked in, I, and it's happened a million times since then, but it was the first time it happened to me. I just remember walking in, and the second the crowd see me, there's a little crowd cheer. That was awesome, dude. I was like, wow, that's cool. Like, everyone was like, like that happened on Saturday at, at a Vinyl for Josh Week. When he popped into the booth, crowd cheered. He didn't even put a record on yet. To yeah, me, that, yeah, That's how yeah. you know it's going to be a good party, man. Oh, yeah. And I just remember playing that party, and I could do no wrong. Like, no matter what record I played, it was fucking everything had a crowd cheer. It was like a touchdown every single time. Woo! Yeah, so that was cool, man. I played a lot of cool shit. Like, here I played some cool parties. I mean, I think one of my favorite ones was in Boulder. I, I, I crowd surfed. The party was so packed that my fat ass was able to crowd
0: surf.
1: I was like, I leaned into the crowd a little. I'm like, oh, tested. Okay, cool. Boom! <laughs> Totally did it, man. Crowd surfed out. It was awesome. At AdSense? No, no. That was at uh, the Fox Theater. Oh, the Fox Theater. Yeah. Cool, cool. It was us and Figure and a couple kids opening for us. Oh, right on, man. Uh, My boy Figure became a pretty big DJ, too, now. I put Mm -hmm. out his first records. Oh, wow. (laughs) On Dirty Fabric. Yeah, crazy.
0: (laughs) Cool. So, what was the best and worst festivals you've attended? Whether, I mean, obviously, if you played or...
1: I mean, I'm trying to think, man. I don't know. Because I don't really go to a whole lot of festivals, so I can't mm-hmm. really say what's best or worst because I don't really go to any of them. Um, as far as the ones that I've been to that I've played at or whatever, I've been to a couple campouts that were completely, like you know, 10,000 people and just completely rained out. Yeah. There's no fun. Everything was supposed to be outdoors. just not happening. Did
0: you did you have anything to do, or did, were you booked to play Memph when that happened in Chicago? Uh, I did Saint play St. Charles?
1: That. I did play it. Oh, that was a fucking. The yeah. tornado came through. Yeah, it was horrible. There was supposed to be nineteen
0: stages.
1: <laughs> I played that Sunday afternoon after all that happened. Oh my yeah. god! And
0: there was like maybe a hundred people there. That, <laughs> that was there. yeah. That was a fucking disaster. That's funny you mentioned that. I forgot about that. Oh dude. god, wow. that flyer was like a poster. Yeah, yeah, it's like nineteen stages. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> like, gonna be incredible. Why there was like tornado took out more stages than people. Yeah. It, oh god, yeah. tornado. Yeah, my friends got lifted up in a in their tent from the tornado and yeah it was bad
1: Black River Falls was pretty incredible I have some, I have some stories I don't that's like. my favorite I, know, I have stories I want to talk about on any podcast that's happened there yeah. <laughs> needless to say it's definitely a swinger campground and the owner loved us and was like you gotta see some of our toys we went to this back room oh, yeah. and he has this fucking dildo attached to a 300 horsepower engine <laughs> we were like we could, he was like I could drill a hole through a fucking board with that <laughs> thing with that, that dick I like, yeah. <laughs> know like, we are coming back here later with some bitches
2: <laughs> oh no
0: I've, I've said it on the podcast before but uh yeah my first three day was up there and uh your first th- three way th- three way no three day <laughs> <laughs> that's what three I heard three day heard about that three <laughs> days 300 horsepower three way yeah. <laughs> uh, but there there still is they do like uh annual Psytrance parties up there all the time but there was this It's probably like f- five years ago I went to a Psytrance party there and some of the like local NCNers that are there on the weekends that there isn't a rave going on yeah they were selling $10 blowjobs on the dance floor they were just <laughs> fucking dropping pants and like wow <laughs> and just Psytrance in the background like oh my god what am I seeing Such that's incredible it does not surprise me there. Yeah, yeah. The and shit that, I've seen
1: and done there. Yeah, does not surprise me. In the me.
0: same big building, like their their main building, I remember there's there's a giant like industrial sex swing that yeah. like I'm like, oh my god, take a picture of me in this. So I like okay. go over and I sit in it, and the second I sit in it, I go, Why did I sit in this chair? And, like once my skin like contacted uh, the chair, <laughs> I was like that was a horrible idea. Yeah, you definitely have herpes now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. something. Like, oh, it would be funny if I get my picture there. Oh, wait. This is, <laughs> it's so this horrible. is used every other
1: weekend. <laughs> definitely not sanitized.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Holy
1: shit. Yeah, that campground was awesome. I'll never forget the first time I was there, too. I remember I was like, hey, can we get a golf cart since we're one of the acts? Like, oh, sure. We had one with gold spokes. I thought it was a shit. We're like, we're fucking
3: burpees. <laughs>
1: yeah we did some fucked up things man I remember we, my one boy he had a security shirt he just had one for some reason in his backpack he's like I oh, always bring this with me to festivals I'm like why he's like because I fucking take everyone's drugs they think I'm a security guard <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that's so
0: awesome you're a dick but that's awesome <laughs> our <laughs> little cabbie area yeah. our camp
1: area was the best we had all the drugs <laughs> incredible That's
0: <Yeah>, hilarious <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't know. Like I said, there's a lot of cool shit that's happened. we after parties are always crazy, man. Mm-hmm. I've said I've had some interesting things happen at after parties. Or,
0: or trying to leave an after party. Yeah,
1: oh, God, fuck. <laughs> I remember one time I was with Nigel Richards in Milwaukee, and we were at a after some kids' after party, and we were just fucked up. So we were like, "Dude, we should use this big pot and put everything in this refrigerator in this pot and make it a stew." So we cooked everything in this. We had pizza, French dressing, fucking eggs, leftover Italian. We put all this shit in there, right? And dude, it smelled so fucking horrific. It was the worst shit ever. And Nigel's like, You try it? I'm like, Fuck you, dude. No way I'm, like, I'm gonna fucking try it. We put moldy food in there. It's gross. So this fucking kid walks up. He's like, He's fucked. I'm stuck He's like, Hey, man, can I get a bowl of that? And me and Nigel were like, Sure, dude gets a ball. And he fucking smashes, dude. He smashes. And he's like, you think we can get another one? Like, cool. I was like, dude, have as much as you want. We got a big pot full. He's like, all right, cool, man. I don't know what this is. It's good.
0: And I said, we,
1: we looked at each other. Neither we, do we. Did we try it? And I was like, I tried it. It was fucking good. <laughs> so I don't know what the fuck it was, but it was fucking good, dude. It's definitely French dressing based
0: but oh my god gross but good that's hilarious <laughs>
1: That's just one example of some shit that went down at after parties <laughs> oh my god but one of the craziest after parties were always Wisconsin I have to say I actually had one in Iowa that was fucked up I remember <laughs> the party got busted it was me and Dietrich Schumann from Prototype 909 at the time asking the house producer. I remember we were, uh, <laughs> we were at some party it got shut down we're going to move into a house. (laughs) We're like, all right. You got this guy from, like, I think dude's from Germany. I'm like, so you're going to make this dude from Germany play on, like, a washer and dryer? (laughs) And they're like, yeah. I fucking paid him. I'm like, all right, cool. I I remember Tony Hawk was going on at the time. That was, like, the big game on Nintendo. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Or uh, Sony PlayStation. I just remember I was fucking crushing these fools playing. The cops come in (laughs) to this house. I'm like, yo, get the fuck out of my way. I'm trying to play, dude. (laughs) We're going to arrest you. I'm like, shut up. (laughs) high score man I got arrested at a party once too oh really I, I got arrested in Chicago one time uh, we were at it was like a it was like a, a a chop shop a place where they take cars that are stolen and like redo them and <laughs> send them out mm-hmm. so uh, they had this this warehouse or whatever so we're throwing, they were playing on a party there it was one of the Wonderland parties things like Wonderland 7 or something I just remember I was playing it's fucking crowded like 3,000 people man it's almost like cops are here turn it off I'm like I don't see any cops. They go turn it off, dude. The cops are fucking here. I'm like, Alright, cool, man. So I turned off the music and everyone's just standing around and like it's twenty minutes go by. Everyone's like, What the fuck, dude? Fuck that. We don't see any cops, play the music. And I was like how many people say fuck the police? And I was like, fuck the police. He, like dropped the system again, dude. Not even 30 seconds later, I was on the ground getting handcuffed. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah.
0: What, what did they arrest you for then? I
1: just, they shut the party down. I just, there's no entertainment license. All kinds uh, of shit. Just, they let me go. But they, yeah. they definitely uh, were pissed about that. That's
0: fucking funny. Yeah, it's crazy.
1: crazy. So I've definitely seen some shit. <laughs> fuck yeah, man. Um, well,
0: Shit, I mean, I we could keep going on, but oh, yeah. we we've officially broken the record by quite a bit. We're at two and a half hours. Holy so. shit! Fucking all right. <laughs> good shit, man. We gotta leave a little time for the uh, for Easy. the mix, and Holy the shit. podcast will be like three and a half hours. So. Wow, crazy! It's almost like
1: uh, it's almost like Peter's mix. Oh yeah, yeah. When he was all heartbroken, he did that thirty-five hour mix. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm like, come on, dude. You sink. <laughs> you can edit that part out or keep it. Whatever. <laughs> it's
0: all good. We love Peter. Yeah.
1: Of course. <laughs> How would this world be without him? Exactly. I love, I love
0: that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Any upcoming events, uh, releases you have coming up, or you know your big tours coming up, or anything we're, you want to plug? We're doing
1: uh we're doing an album. Ghetto Blasters doing an album. I'm doing some stuff as Paul Anthony with SNS Records coming up right now. We're doing a remix album of all like Steve Hurley's big records, like "Jack Your Body," "The Word Is Love." It's a whole bunch of other stuff like that. Mm-hmm. A couple of singles. So we're doing it on S&S Records, which to me is just incredible that I could work with Steve Hurley. You know, Steve Silk Hurley's one mm-hmm. of the Chicago pioneers. When you look up house music in the encyclopedia, like he's in that. <laughs> like he's one of the first guys. So it's definitely an honorable thing to be able to do that. Definitely look out for that album coming up right now. It's gonna be it's gonna be a really cool one. A lot of cool. Mm-hmm. cool sounds cool things happening with that other than that we're just really pumping out I signed probably 30 projects to Wee Jack from artists as far as Italy to Germany got a couple of dudes from Japan bunch of people from here from Chicago so definitely so one of my buddies from San Francisco we're definitely you know lining up projects for the label getting great feedback like Wee Jack's already been supported by Maceo Plex by Jimmy Edgar by um, fuck I can't even think Bob Sinclair Joachim Gerard. Um, Son, Claude Monstroke, like I mean a lot of the relevant names that are going on right now we we mm-hmm. have a very good promotion system uh, you know, between myself and my uh, distributor. and if anyone's looking for a distributor, definitely look for Andy TLM on Facebook, one of the best distribution companies I've ever been part of. Uh, he cares about his labels. he helps us push promos out to people that I can't reach out to. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely have have gotten a chance to get our stuff on the main stage of a lot. I may not play every festival, that my music does right now. So Fuck yeah. So it's like it's just the beginning of the battle. So for mm-hmm. in my eyes, you know, so definitely excited about all that stuff. And what was the other question you asked me? Anyone oh no, uh, yeah, stuff?
0: just up anything upcoming you want to plug? Out. Uh, yeah, when's the next Wejack? Anyone's listening to.
1: Anyone from out of, out of the area listening, we're going to be in San Francisco coming up. We're going to be in L.A. coming up for our tour. We're going to be in Kansas City, St. Louis, uh, Milwaukee, Chicago, Detroit, Grand Rapids, um, Toronto. And then in Europe, we're going to be possibly doing Greece, uh, definitely doing Amsterdam, definitely doing Paris. So we got a handful of things in the future that are going to be pretty incredible as far as... Uh, Wee Jack parties are going to see them in Dallas. You are going to see them in. Uh, you are going to see them in uh, Detroit. You are going to see them in. Uh, we're trying to get one together in London right now at Ministry of Sound. So uh, it's going to be more of a legends party. I am going to try to do like some Farley, Steve, Slow, Hurley stuff like that. You know, we're going to, oh, try yeah. to try to do something a little bit bigger over there with our UK people. You know, we're just trying to spread it everywhere. Eventually, I like to see Wee Jack in every major city that does house music. I like to see the party, you know, being a touring party. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be just one area.
0: Yeah, so more it's definitely more, snowballing. Yeah, so.
1: more merchandise. Salt. I mean, we got everything from beer koozies. I don't know if you saw those yet. Yeah, I need to grab me one yeah, of those. Yeah, I'm have,
0: a I'm a koozie guy.
1: Fuck yeah, we got beer koozies. We got t shirts, we've baseball caps, we want to do underwear, like all kinds of stuff. so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah so I mean that, that's really what we're going to do is do a lot of merchandising a lot of you do ties and so just say we, right? we jack <laughs> or condoms <laughs> we jack condoms we jack deeper <laughs> <laughs> we jack deeper <laughs> yeah so we're trying to do a bunch of stuff we just want to keep building that brand we really love what we're part of right now I've never mm-hmm. I've never said that out of all the stuff I've done in my life I've never been like I'm happy with everything right now mm-hmm. like I'm pretty happy with everything right now
0: hell yeah man that's an accomplishment for sure yeah so Cool. So if people want to find you, here's some mixes online. Uh, where can they do that?
1: uh Facebook.com, Paul Anthony Chicago, or DJ Paul Anthony. One's my personal page, one's my fan page. And then. There's
0: a WeJack uh, group, isn't there?
1: There's a WeJack group, there's a WeJack fan page. So yeah, there's people can. Ghetto Blaster without an H. So Ghetto, Ghetto Blaster. Um, our website's iHeartGhetto. The iHeartGhetto shirts are coming soon. So, I Heart Ghetto Blaster. I apologize with no H. But, uh, yeah, for the Detroit <laughs> Festival, we're doing I Heart Ghetto shirts and stickers. So, it's going to be pretty awesome. that's man. Yeah, so we're going to keep doing that stuff. Like I said, I want to open doors for a lot of young kids, and I want to make sure all the young kids know who all the old guys are. So mm-hmm. have we multi- need people like you, for sure.
0: Multi-purpose, man, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Keeping it going. Oh, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, let's... Uh Get your mix on here, uh, wrap things up. What what can we expect from the mix?
1: Oh, a lot of unreleased music and a lot of music from my friends.
0: Hell so. yeah. A little bit of scratching in there? Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah, we'll yeah. See, we'll see how much, you know. <laughs> It's
1: really funny. When I record live mixes, I try to scratch less. Mm-hmm. I always try to do that a little less with the mixes because I kind of want people to come to the shows to see that yeah
0: yeah totally because you know, people are like oh why don't you it's scratch it it's very visual
1: yeah I want you to see it I want you to experience it. I want you to come out to the party not listen to it online and be like oh I'll listen to your podcast I don't need to come out like mm-hmm. fuck off no come out yeah you know so I try to I try to give people a little bit more of the unreleased stuff on the mixes online and stuff because mm-hmm. it makes people look for records when they like them you know what I mean mm-hmm. so so it's a chance to test them out and see what people think. So Hell yeah! Hope you guys enjoy everything I play.
0: Excellent. Well, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Paul. Awesome to talk to you and get to learn a lot about Chicago and your history and everything. And excited to see where everything goes. And definitely get you back on here in like maybe a year or so and get an update. <laughs> we still got a lot, a lot more fucking <laughs> we'll talk, we'll talk lot stories <laughs> and shit to talk about. So. Hell yeah, man! Thanks, Thanks for, for being part of our family. Absolutely, I'm honored. So, all right, guys, here you go, Paul Anthony in the mix.
3: Get that cash. Girls, girls, get the 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 cash. Girls, girls, get the
4: cash. Girls, girls, get the cash. Girls, girls, get the cash. Jacka. Jack Checker.
0: Thanks to everyone who tuned in to stay till the very end. And a massive thanks to Paul for coming on and letting me pick his brain for a couple hours and for the Jack and Mix. I think we broke the record with the longest podcast with this one. Got plenty more podcasts on the way as we approach the final stretch before Movement 2016. So until then, take care of yourself, guys, and we'll catch you next time.